You have arrived. Do not adjust your monitor. Make sure your tinfoil hat is shiny. Lock your doors. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, lie down. If you're driving, please pull over. Swipe and share. Curse and comment. Open debate. Trolls welcome. Resist or mega. Left or right. Darkness or light. Flight or fight. Political turmoil. Innuendo. Lies. Deception. Rhetoric. Fake news. AI. Extremism. Lucifer. And laughs. Welcome to. The. Daily. Boogie. Ah, yeah. It's happening. We're doing this. <laughs> Good evening. We're going to have some fun tonight, let me tell you. Hope everyone's doing well. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us, guys. So many names, too many to mention. All right, I'll try to mention a few. Key Wizard, Sin Soaked, Kimmy Jong-un, Ducks Regionist, Christy Christy. Christy Christy wanted to have sex during the introduction. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I think the introduction is far too long for that kind of endeavour. For me personally, anyway. I, I mean, it's a good four and, four and a half, five minutes at least. So there'd, there'd be three minutes of just laying, like if I was to try and have sex during the introduction, there'd be three minutes of me and my partner just laying there and I'm trying to think of something to say, you know, I'm just counting the seconds down on the clock, like until I can say, oh shit, I've got to run. The intro is nearly done. You know, I've got to go. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that the three minutes afterwards would just feel like an eternity, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Like we're all done here. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Sandra Donna, thanks for the super heart. J-Dub, it's good to see you, Doc. Who have I missed? I've missed everyone. Zilly. Wins alive, my friend in North Australia, Netdrag. I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with Netdrag's material that he sent in on that he sent in on the Twitter. Teresa, good to see you. So time for sex and a ciggy. Yeah, well that's that's true, but I, three minutes might be might be cutting it a bit quick on the ciggy. We might be doing power drags. You know what I mean? You want to enjoy a cigarette, especially when you have unenjoyable sex. <laughs> Stefan Sears, good to see you Desiree, Laurie Bird Scotter, how you going? Hope everyone's having a great night I certainly am, it's good to see you Let me just tell you the news from the future We do live in the future down here in Australia And let me tell you, it is hot as a motherfucker down here <laughs> Alright <laughs> It is hot as a bitch it's still spring here officially. It's still spring. I, I often get told that I'm a bad Australian because I don't like the heat. You know, it's a it's a very Australian thing to embrace the heat. You've got to love the heat. You know, Australians, when it's hot, they go to the beach, they play cricket, 
they drink beer in the sun. I enjoy drinking beer in the sun, don't get me wrong. But to be fair, I'll drink beer in a urine-soaked alley as well. I, I, I'm not, I don't think it's the sun that's drawing me to the activity. I think it's the beverage. But it is, it is hot down here. It's over 100. And in this studio with the lights going and everything like that, it's at least 10 or 15 degrees above that. In the old days, people who have been here for a while, they'll remember, um, you, you couldn't see me on camera at all. Like, I was here, but I was I was just in a shadow. And all you could see was this fella here, the dude behind me. And you would just see the occasional puff of smoke come out as I was talking. But you couldn't see me at all. So back in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't so much of a problem because I would just do the show naked and nobody would know. Because it would literally be like 120 degrees in the studio. There's no air conditioning. <laughs> right? So it wasn't wasn't a problem, but I can't do that now. This is one of the downsides. I do have lights going, yes. But I put a filter on and a lighting effect. It's all very sophisticated. It's all very good. Obviously, my, my huge production staff here at the Boogie Bumper Studios, which includes uh, two cats and a dog, uh, they chip in where they can. I don't expect much, to be fair. I'm a very equal opportunity employer. But occasionally the dog will wander in and take a shit on the floor, and that's good. You know, it's encouraging because I get to go down on the floor and see what else is around. What rubbish have I missed? No AC. I'm not allowed to get AC. Was no, there's AC in the house, but there's not AC in this studio, in this room. And I'd like to get AC in this room, but unfortunately, the baby bride doesn't want a big air conditioning unit sticking out onto our back patio. And I'm like, it's fine. The guests can just duck underneath it. Like, I'm not asking too much, right? <laughs> we can just pump hot air out into where all the people sit and gather and have drinks and conversations in the summer. It's fine. Don't worry about it. They'll live with it. It'll be cool. It'll be cool in here. It'll be hot out there, but it'll be cool in here. And that's the main thing. But unfortunately, my requests have gone unanswered, unfortunately. So I do have uh, some drinks loaded up tonight, and let me just let me just take a sip. Listen to that ice jingling in there. Mm. Hot as a motherfucker. Tom Shadley, thanks for joining us. Kimmy agrees with the baby bride. Oh, that's a bannable offence. You can't do that. Blue waves and great weather in blue Texas. Texas blue, man. I see <laughs> the same reason. See, a lot of people don't like you, but I disagree with them. I like you, Texas blue, Philly. I, I can't. I can't call you Texas Blue. You, you'll always be Philly to me. You know what I mean? Like, like we we got to know each other as Boogie Bumper and Philly, and so you will forever be tattooed on my heart, comrade, as Philly, and 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 so you shall remain. You can change your name, but you can't change a first impression, my friend. So, a lot of people have a problem with you, but I say nay to them. I say, oh no, naysayer. Wait, I'm the naysayer. Yeah, I'm the naysayer. I say, no, I'm a naysayer. Philly's great. He just comes in and he starts pumping lines, like straight away. There's, there's, no, there's no introduction. There's no gentle, how are we? There's no, sm- there's no small talk. There's no chat about the weather. He, he just comes straight into the room and he starts hammering lines straight from the get-go, all in capitals. <laughs> I find it very amusing. Lucifer Sam's good to see you, my friend. My Democrat friend, Lucifer Sam. 
Um, here's here's an olive branch before we get started tonight because, you know, I may not be as popular as I am right now by the time I get to the end, but uh, an olive branch to my friend Lucifer Sam. Lucifer Sam is an intelligent, rational man. He's a cultural American in every sense of the word. He loves America. He drives a big truck. He loves his guns. He loves his football. But he happens to be in California and he votes for the Democrats, which is fine. But he's not the uh, stereotypical Democrat that you'll see. So Lucifer Sam is imploring people to help him redirect the Democrat Party to greener pastures. And I would suggest that's a very fruitful endeavor. And I'd, I'd like to volunteer my services if there are lunatic fringe identitarians from the far left in the Democrat Party running in primaries in California, Sam, and you can point me in their direction, I will be more than happy to turn my words to uh, turn my my gaze to them and begin to tear shreds off them. I'm actually someone, believe it or not, I'm actually someone that doesn't believe in a one party state. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous. But I actually think democracy, republic, like republics and democracy, liberal democracies as we know them, in a two-party state, you need a strong opposition. You need a strong opposition to force the government to be better. And it doesn't matter who's in government at any particular time. And what I see right now is actually like a kind of a, a tragic, sad implosion on the Democrat side of the aisle where... They are being cannibalised by the hard left fringe and many, many moderate Democrats, well, their their concerns, their voices, their wants and their needs, they're going by the wayside as the leadership pursues an ever-shrinking band of intersectionality, like try, trying to extract votes wherever possible. And they need... Really, if the Democrats just got back to the, uh, you know, going after the middle class votes, then they'd, they'd probably be in power for 100 years. But unfortunately for them, they can't do it at the moment. So, and, you know, like, obviously, you know, the majority of the audience here is Republican. And I'm somewhat biased to that point of view myself. But who here wouldn't like to see a return to like the blue dog democrats where at least you at least you knew you were on the same side right at least you knew you had a little bit of disagreements about things like taxation or things like the welfare how much welfare people get what's the right taxation you had disagreements around things like labor relations do you favor business do you favor workers these were the conversations that were had for a long time But when push came to shove, when it came to the crunch, everybody knew that they were on the same team. And I think the great tragedy now as we sit here today is how many people can actually look across the aisle to the Democrat leadership, your Pelosi's, your Maxine's, your Chuck Schumer's. How many people can look over that side of the aisle and say, yeah, we're on the same team. And the question is, would you want to be on the same team? Would you want to be on the same team as people who are most obviously by their actions and their words anti-American? I know that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. It gets used, don't trust me, it gets used a lot here as well. Everything's anti-Australian, trust me. 
Like I know it's a very cliched, clickbaity kind of thing to throw out there. Red meat, right? But is there any other way to describe the leadership of the Democrats right now? <laughs> Some people are saying it looks like a 50-50. Some people are saying I'm willing. Iowa, Iowa Trump. Iowa Trump is my favorite fascist. She says never. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm being asked to join the caravan so I can be an instant citizen. No, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to wave the Honduran flag and put my heart into it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I know if I'm moving to America and trying to become a citizen of America, um, you know, I may I may wave an Australian flag, but waving a Honduran flag, it's, my heart's just not in it, I'm afraid. Where does Xavier Rudd fall on the political spectrum in Australia? That's a good question. I don't really know. I don't know enough about Xavier Rudd, to be fair. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've even heard the name, to be honest with you. That's wild that you would mention that. But, nonetheless, I want to see a strong opposition. I want the Democrats to be better. Um, or even though I get material and much joy out of watching, you know, the cavalcade of incompetence roll on from week to week to week, watching strategic misstep after rhetorical misstep after (laughs) complete clusterfuck in political terms week to week to week from the Democrats. I'm actually someone that wants the Democrat Party to be strong, not because I am a Democrat, but because I believe in liberal democracies in the true tradition of the word, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I want strong opposition. I want credible opposition. I want, actu- I want actual arguments again. Remember when we used to have arguments? Arguments that meant something? Instead of just people pointing at you and saying, you're a Nazi? Remember the days? I remember the days. I'm not even that old. It wasn't even that long ago. It feels like we're in a time vortex where everything is sped up. And we've gone from, well, you know, the problem is if we raise taxation by 0.5% on these particular class of businesses, then that's going to force a certain amount of investment to look elsewhere to regain their capital, and that's going to have a detrimental effect on workers. And then someone on the Democrat side would come back and say, yes, but without the workers, productivity fails. So I think that we need to make sure that we invest in actual employment and you know retraining of staff so they can move with trends in a future more... Uh, you know, automated economy. And it'd be like, hmm, that's very interesting. It's, I haven't considered that. It's, that's a good thought. But now it's like, you know, I think we should uh, lower corporate tax rates so we can, you know, get business flowing capital into the system again, which will then spur on employment opportunities. And the person on the other side just looks at you and says, oh, you fucking Nazi. <laughs> and you're like, well, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I wasting my time with these people? Fuck you, fascist! I was like, oh, God. Oh. Donald Trump has radicalised more people than ISIS. It's like, okay, okay. Thanks for being chill, bro. Appreciate it. But one could only hope. And as I said to my, my good friend Sam, my intelligent Democrat friend Sam during the week on Twitter... Unfortunately, the, the, the painful reality of all, the, all of this is, this situation is, as long as you keep voting Democrat, they're not going to listen to you. You can even break that down on a congressional level. So, you know, even like the little seat that the congressman has, 
If you live in a seat that is very, 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 very deep blue, right? Very deep blue. And you've been there for 20 or 30 years and you're a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. Your daddy was a Democrat. His daddy was a Democrat. They've all been bloody Democrats as far back as time goes. And you could never dream of voting for those pigs on the other side. I would never pull the lever for a Republican. Never, ever. In a million years, you could put a gun to my head. There's no way I'm voting for a Republican. I am as deep blue as deep blue as they get. See, I, I can't vote for Republicans. Math doesn't work. But here's what I'm telling you. I've done this myself. You have to. The problem is margins. Do you know what politicians look at? Politicians don't look at comments in Periscope. They don't read comments on Twitter. They, they, they really don't look at op-eds in newspapers a lot either. Once a day. In the first thing in the morning, they get a report about everything that's been mentioned of them in the media. They have a team of people that listen to the popular radio shows, television shows, watch the newspapers, and if their name comes up, they get an alert. And that alert goes straight to the desk of the politician. So the first thing they do when they get in their office, there's a page, a printed-out page from their staff, and it says, you were mentioned on this show, this show, this show, and here's the context, right? So Chris Mack, thanks for joining. You follow Chris Mack. Chris Mack's going to be doing a Tuesday night... Uh, election special. I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to get a guest appearance organised for Chris Mack for some unknown foreigner who has no right talking about the American elections. I think he's from Australia, but we'll have to see how we go. So they really don't care about comments and periscopes and stuff. What politicians care about is margins. So if you live in a deep blue congressional seat and you're worried about things not getting done for the last twenty or thirty years. The reason things aren't getting done for the last 20 or 30 years is because it's a deep blue seat, because the politician takes your vote for granted. They know it doesn't matter what they do or don't do, you're going to vote for them anyway. Same goes with the deep red seats. Same goes with the Republicans, right? If you're a Republican in a deep red seat and you're concerned about, you know, the road isn't getting fixed, the bridge isn't getting built, the school isn't getting fixed up, The reason it's not getting fixed up, even though you keep voting for Republicans, is because you keep voting for Republicans. So the margin is too big. So if the margin is so big that the politician knows that they don't have to actually do what their constituents want and they'll still get voted in anyway, your job as a voter, as an enlightened voter in a liberal democracy slash republic, is to lower that margin. You have to make the politician aware that you're there. And the best way that you can make them aware that you're there is by lowering that margin so it gets a little bit nervous for them. If a politician has a margin of 10 or 15% in a seat, they're not going to do anything for you. They're just going to go to Washington, take the benefits, and then retire on a nice salary 30 years from now. You don't want that. Politicians should fear the population not take them for granted. Fear the population. And the way that you get them to fear the population is by letting them know that every single time there's a vote, their job is on the line. Their lifestyle is up for grabs. And the only way you can do that is by making sure that the margin between themselves and the competitor is as small as you can possibly get it. So if you're a Democrat in a deep blue seat... 
and you're concerned about things not changing in your particular area, vote Republican. Sorry. Vote Republican. The Republican might not get in. You don't want the Republican to get in. But if enough, if enough of you do it, it lowers the margin. And then that politician after that election is going to say, well, that margin really shrunk. I guess people are really pissed off that we're not getting the bridge fixed. We're not doing the school up. We're not getting the road fixed. Guess what they do? Next thing you know, they're out the front of the brand new school cutting a big red ribbon and all the camera shutters are going off. Democratic incumbent opens brand new school. Democrat Democrat voters applaud. It's about time we got this shit done. It's been 25 years. Just like that. Party headquarters will notice that the margins are getting small. They'll know that they have to spend money in that particular seat. They'll allocate money. It's beautiful. And like I said, I've done it myself. Strategic voting. I've, I've voted for someone that I don't want to win. For that purpose. I may like the party that's in power at the time. But if they aren't doing what they've been put there to do, then I want to shake them up a little bit. And even though it's only one vote, people say it's only one vote, what's the difference? If enough people have this mentality, then it's no longer one vote, is it? Something to consider. Thanks, for everyone, uh, for coming in late. It is hot as a motherfucker, by the way. I'm just going to take another sip of my beverage. Take another sip of my beverage here. Absolutely fantastic. Stupid Trudeau legalized it. I, I'm with James on this one. You guys know James R. We're friends, obviously. We co-host a show together, Trust and Verify. I have a lot of fun doing it, by the way. One day we'll actually record what we do before the show goes live and just do that as the show. What if it backfires? Well, if it backfires, you get another chance. Iowa for Trump asking, what if it backfires? If it, if it backfires, you get another chance. Actually, if you if it backfires, guess what your party's going to do next time? If it backfires, you win. Because the party, having lost a seat that they took for granted for so long, is going to turn around and do everything they can to win you back. They're going to say, we looked over the previous 30 years of voting records and we had this seat by a margin of 10%. What the fuck happened? Oh, I know. They were bitching about a school and roads not getting fixed and a bridge that wasn't getting built for the last 20 years and we ignored them. Oh, okay. We better not make that mistake again. We can't afford to lose any more seats like that. Right? You win. Next time out, the next politician, because the one that was in, they get the sack. They're out of there. They lost their job. The next candidate that comes in, now running against the opposite side's incumbent, comes out and says, you know what? This has been a deep red seat for the last 30 years. And what we did, we did the wrong thing. We took you for granted. We took you for granted. You know what? It's much easier to win back a seat in those seats that are traditionally held by your party. Like, if you lose a seat, in an election, it doesn't mean it's gone forever. <laughs> if you lose an if you lose a seat in an election that you traditionally held by a, like a margin of ten percent over the previous twenty or thirty years, more than likely there's a lot of people in that seat that are still sympathetic to your party's cause. So you don't really have to give them much. Like that's the other thing too. Politicians know we don't have to give them much to keep them happy. What do they want? They want the road fixed. They want the bridge built, and they want the school done. Let's give them one of those things and I'll vote us back in for another 25 fucking years. 
it is that brutal that this is the way politicians approach it. I love the Project Veritas thing. I was to, I'll, I'll get back to James. Uh, the Project Veritas thing, I was thinking about playing the clip tonight and then I, I decided not to. Uh, reason being is we already knew this. <laughs> the, the beauty of Project Veritas is uh, they take what people think they know and turn it into now we know. And that's a very difficult thing to do. A lot of people think they know things, but they don't really know. Now, you might have thought that you knew that politicians had this kind of flippant, dismissive, uh, very very Machiavellian way of treating their job and the voters. You might have thought it was that way, but now you know. But I want to uh, drop a red pill on you, by the way. I'm going to drop a red pill on you. And this, is, this isn't a slide against Project Veritas because uh, they, they are probably the only media organisation that actually does this to the Democrats. So, like, good luck. I'm, I'm all for free and open. People that come out and say, Project Veritas shouldn't be allowed to do this. This is ridiculous. Well, they're more than happy for everybody to be doing it to the Republicans, and that's bullshit. I say, fuck you. But the reality is uh, politicians on the left and the right treat voters that way. That's it. I, I've never once met a politician in private that doesn't talk like that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds harsh. I know we as voters like to think the best of our elected officials. We like to think that they're doing it for the right reasons. But it really is. It really is a hardcore game like that. Veritas is a manipulation. And that's silly. That's silly, Philly. Silly, Philly, that's silly. You know, that's silly. Well, of course you'd think it's crap, Sam. They're attacking Democrats. <laughs> Of course you'd think it's crap. But politicians on the left and the right, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, like, it's a, it's a very big... Think of it like this way. If you're a surgeon and you've, you've seen, like, hundreds of people die on the operating table, you know how people say, like, their loved one was in surgery, right? their loved one was in surgery and like, sorry if this is a triggering thing for some people, but it's not intended to be. But so someone was sick and someone was in surgery and they didn't make it. And the doctor comes out and says, you know, very matter of factly, I'm sorry, we did all we could, but they didn't make it. Now that doesn't mean that the doctor like doesn't care. It doesn't mean that the doctor's not doing it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? It just means in, in the, in the function of their job, they see it from a very different perspective than you do. So, like, it's not for them to put their arm around you and tell you that they're, you know, everything's going to be okay. That's not their job. That's not what they're there to do. The same thing applies in politics a little differently. So politicians, you, you, you'd like to think that all of your, your chosen party and your chosen team, like, they would never talk behind the scenes about, we don't have to tell the voters that. We're going to lie to them in order to get them to support this thing. You know, we need to win the votes of this population. We need to win the votes of that demographic. We're not doing well with the under 30s. We're not doing well with the women. All this kind of shit. How can we get more turnout? How can we get numbers? How can we spur enthusiasm in our volunteers? 
like when the surgeon's operating on a person, they're not saying, gee, I hope the family doesn't cry when this person dies. They're thinking, okay, we need to clip that artery. We need to insert the catheter. We need to do this. We need to do that. It's a process thing. Oh, thank you, Colleen, over on YouTube. Colleen's 74-year-old mother loves the show and pees her pants when she watches it. That's fantastic. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I might now be able to swing some kind of sponsorship from like some adult diaper company. If you're out there, guys, let me know. (laughs) I have a ready-made audience peeing their pants right now. Right now, people are peeing their pants as we speak. You would be mad not to jump on this obvious business opportunity. But the same thing applies in politics. And I'm amazed when people think otherwise, to be brutally honest. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm glad that that sheen is getting ripped open. Like that that sheaf is being ripped off now and more people can see it for what it is. I've told this story before. The second longest serving prime minister in Australian history was a conservative by the name of John Howard. Okay. And if you saw him, you wouldn't think much of him. He was a short guy with big glasses and big bushy eyebrows. Right? And he he served as Prime Minister for a little over 12 years. The longest serving Prime Minister, by the way, uh, was another Conservative named Sir Robert Menzies, and he served for 16 years. Okay? And John Howard once famously said... That politics, winning winning elections is less about ideology and more about mathematics. Now you would th- like if if someone came out, would you would you feel like, oh my god, what an awful thing to say? I thought he really believes in what he's saying. It doesn't mean he doesn't believe in what he's doing. It means in order to win, this is the way you have to approach it. And I've got news for you. As someone who dabbled in uh, the dark arts of left-wing politics in my younger years, I can tell you that this is exactly the way they approach it. They just do it a little bit more savagely than the people than the people on the right. Sorry, the people on the right do it as well. Don't don't get me wrong. People on the right are all about objectives and outcomes as well, but the people on the left are a little bit more savage. Like, and you know, I kind of respect that. They're more willing to do whatever it takes to win. One, a famous, again, a famous uh, left-wing political operative here in Australia, a guy named by the name of Graham Richardson, was involved in left-wing politics for forty years. He was a power broker in the party. He was a kingmaker. Who he decided who was where. He wasn't even elected. He was just one of the backroom guys. He wrote a book, literally called "Whatever It Takes." You do whatever it takes to win. Why do you do whatever it takes to win? Because you can't do anything else unless you win. So that's the way it goes. Back to James. Let me just take another sip. Like I said, it is it is brutally hot here. So pardon pardon me while I take another sip. This is a frightfully long monologue, by the way. Windsor Live says, in politics, sometimes you've got to tickle some balls, other times you've got to break some. That's right. That's exactly right. Exactly right. If the De- <laughs> Lucifer Sam says, if the Democrats would do anything to win, seems like they'd win more. The, the sad reality is they have been winning for a very long time and now they're not because their tactics are no longer working. And that, that's a different thing. 
they they are literally trying everything they can to win. But just because they're trying everything they can to win doesn't mean it's good enough. That's the problem. But I said it. I look. I said it uh, the day after Donald Trump was elected. I've said it six months ago. I said it twelve months ago. I said it eighteen months ago. I said it two years ago. And if you were listening back then, Sam, you would remember I said all this whole time that the Democrats could have been thinking up ways to, you know, address policy. They could have been coming up with policy. They could have been thinking about how we're going to win back those working class voters that we lost in the blue wall states. Those those vital blue wall votes. How are we going to win them back? They didn't do that. Instead, they wanted to tell people about how Russia fucked everything up and Donald Trump's a Hitler. So, you know, it doesn't mean that they've, they've literally tried the Hitler move. That's, that's about as savage as it gets. And that's not working. So maybe they should try something else. Maybe they're too stupid to come up with a strategy. It doesn't mean they're not trying everything they can to win. Maybe they just aren't capable of winning anymore. Have we considered that? Well, maybe now's the time. But we'll see what happens in the midterms. So back to James. Uh, I'm a bit like James. I try not to absorb too much Periscope. And it's not because I don't like people on Periscope and stuff like that. But it's it's funny how it messes with you. If you're actually doing podcasts and you're doing shows... Uh, you don't want to be tainted by other people's opinions. Like, I just I just want to observe the way I observe. I watch James because he, he says things that I can never think of. He has a different way of approaching things. And he he's, he's probably the smartest guy I've ever met. And the, the funny thing, he says the same thing about me, but he's lying. Don't trust him. He's the smartest guy I've ever met. But he sees things that I would never possibly see. So that's why I watch him. So I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. And we disagree from time to time, you know. Um, so I did catch a little bit. I watched about five minutes of him, and he was talking about the border. And, and this is something, like, you know, I was having conversations, you know, in private with various people two weeks ago. If, if you're new to this show, if you're new to this Periscope, what we don't do here is, like, the moral finger-wagging stuff. I'm not going to tell you that yeah, you're evil. You can, you can come in and say you're a racist, you're KKK. Oh, look at this racist sitting in the dark and all, all that stuff. I've heard it all before. I've heard it all before. And that's fine. But what we don't do is like the shallow stuff here. What, what we generally tend to do is like rhetorical analysis. We analyze talking points and narratives and then we discuss counters to them. What would be the best counter? What's what's the good strategic play here for in the media? And we have a little bit of laughs along the way because the media is so terrible, right? So, with that in mind, uh, James was talking about the current situation at the border, the media going down to the border, and he started talking about how the media is going to spin this. And like like I said, we were having these conversations, not myself and James, but myself and other people were having these conversations a couple of weeks ago. Thing, expect this. Yeah, Boogie called me racist. <laughs> expect this. Expect the situation to be pushed and prodded to a point where the, I, I said I can't wait for the media to start coming out and uh, attacking the military. Like that's that's going to happen. That is absolutely going to happen. 
and there is no way around it. There's there's nothing else that they can do. If things escalate on the border and the travelling migrant caravan or whatever whatever you want to call them uh, gets to an inflection point and they are pushed back on by the media, what uh, by the by the military, whatever that means, right? You are you can bet your bottom dollar five will get you ten that the next media story will be how awful. How fascist, how unscrupulous the military is. It's absolutely going to happen. Now, the reason that it's going to happen, here's another red pill for you. The reason that it's going to happen is not because it's stupid to do it. The reason that it's going to happen is not because the media is stupid. Like, they may, you know, people in the media may be stupid. But if we take the, the, the industry as a totality, it's not stupid people calling the shots. The reason that it's going to happen is because it's worked before. <laughs> it's worked before. I would never normally do this. Let's, let's play a little video straight off the bat here. I know I've been doing the monologue for a while. I'll play this through and I'll explain things as we go. Thanks for joining us, by the way. Welcome to the show, guys. If you want to share it out, please do. If you want to follow at Boogie Bumper, if you want to become, if you want to support the show, please do so by heading to patreon.com forward slash Boogie Bumper. And let's rock and roll. And and I'll explain my thoughts as this goes. We're already, we're already way behind schedule. So. Oh. was a shocking military campaign and the major turning point Let's start that again. The Tet Offensive. The Tet Offensive was a shocking military campaign and the major turning point in the Vietnam War. On January 30, 1968, the North Vietnamese Army and Southern Communist rebels known as the Viet Cong launched a number of coordinated attacks against the U.S. and South Vietnamese troops. The series of surprise attacks, named for their occurrence during the Lunar New Year, or Tet, led to a significant two-month struggle, altering the course of the Vietnam War. Now I've done I've done a lot of reading and writing on the Tet Offensive. I actually have some contact with someone who was there at the time which which spurred my interest. And they weren't there as a fighter per se. They were there taking photos. And there's a reason why that's important. Now, if you study the Tet Offensive, this is a very short video, obviously, and they're trying to boil down as many talking points into a five-minute period as you can possibly get. But I will expand a little bit. If you study the Tet Offensive, it becomes obvious. If, you, if you're not reading the obvious, uh, you know, the war hero stories, which are fine. Like, I love war hero stories, don't get me wrong. But if you're taking like a, a, a somewhat detached, removed view of what happened, an objective view, you soon come to the realisation that study of the Tet Offensive is not a study of a military action. It is not the study of a military uh, confrontation, even though there was fighting, even though people were shooting at each other. It's not that. What the Tet Offensive was, was probably the single most greatest propaganda campaign ever orchestrated on the American people. He mentioned there the Tet Festival. It was well known by 
the fighters at the time, the Vietnamese and and the foreign fighters, you know, the Americans, the Australians, the British, all the people that were there, the French before us. Remember, Australia was in Vietnam as well. You weren't on your own in that fight. So our guys got spat on too, believe it or not. So it was well known that during this Tet Festival that no fighting would take place, okay? There would be no fighting during the Tet Festival. It's a sacred sacred, uh, holiday for the Vietnamese people. It would be wrong. And what happened in the fighting was very specific targets by the Viet Cong who were very smart, you know, People tell jokes about the guys in the black pyjamas and you, you have to do that to an extent in a war. People say, oh, it's wrong to dehumanise people during war. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that's another red pill for you. If you're, someone, if you're someone that says it's wrong to dehumanise your opponents during a war, you've obviously never been asked to kill anybody. Dehumanising your opponents during a war is actually necessary to victory. Sorry. Sorry to give you the truth, but your your guys are not going to win the war if they have to go around, you know, feeling sorry for the people that they're killing on the other side. It's not going to happen. It's just, just the way humans work. You know, the military puts a lot of time and money into training people how to get past that human emotion so they can function in a war capacity, in a war scenario. So when people say, oh, it's wrong to dehumanise the enemy, you, you, you're you clearly a moron at that point. And sorry, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to insult you. If you say it's wrong to dehumanise the opponent during a war, then you, you're clearly like way out there. You are in, living in a bubble somewhere. You're probably very catered for. You probably get a nice cafe latte at the Starbucks in the morning before you toddle off with your little man bag on the way to university or something like that. You know, And that's fine. I've got nothing against you. That's That's cool. But you're just an idiot when it comes to that kind of thing. So it's actually a necessary component of training a soldier. So during the Tet Offensive, the Viet Cong, who are very intelligent, very smart fighters, very hard fighters too, very hard, uh, you know... <laughs> like days and days and days without food or water or contact. They actually found they actually found some North Vietnamese guys years and years later living in the jungle. They didn't even know the war was over. They were old men. That's dedication, right? Tough, tough opponent. So what they did was they targeted specific targets which they knew were of, you know, relative importance to the American population. So like an embassy, right? Somewhere where they knew there was going to be, what? Not a lot of soldiers, a lot of cameras, a lot of journalists. There was actually a big operation here during the Vietnam War run by our um, our spy agency, which is called ASIO. It's like our version of the CIA. And they were actually infiltrating, they were using agents to infiltrate various news departments to see who was actually working on behalf of the communists in the, in the, Vietnam, in the Vietnam War. I would suggest if we were doing it, you were doing it. Like your, your guys were looking for communists in the news departments at the same time. Five will get you ten. So they were targeting specific areas of specific interest, not military, you know, not military targets, but targets where they knew there was going to be a lot of cameras. Let's roll on. 
Here, we'll summarize the events of the Tet Offensive, its aftermath, and its legacy as the turning point in the Vietnam War. U.S. Involvement in Vietnam The U.S. officially entered the Vietnam War in 1964. After years of denouncing communism and sending secret operations and aid to the conflict, for the next four years, President Lyndon B. Johnson would send over half a million troops into Vietnam, sparking significant protests from American citizens. Most warfare in Vietnam consisted of guerrilla-style combat rather than large orchestrated battles. See, we know all this. You know, I've, I've had friends in the past who are like avowed communists. Like literally, they want a dictatorship. Very intelligent people, mind you. And obviously, you know, when it comes to political discussion, we, we differ. <laughs> we tend to have disagreements. But, uh, you know, I grew up with a couple of guys who are like avowed communists and will argue for a, a dictatorship run by the military. Like, and they're very based about it. They don't care. That's a, that's a thing I like when, you know, when people refer to, you know, when I see the pretend communists talking about... Um, you know, like, oh, we don't want to offend anybody. We want to, we want, we want to love everyone. We want equality and tolerance. They've actually never met. I, I can tell from that that they're either lying or they've never met a real communist. Because a real communist will literally look at you in the face and say, "Well, yeah, like, obviously, you're going to have to either join us or we're going to have to shoot you." <laughs> they're like, "Really? You're going to shoot me?" He's like, "Well, we can't allow dissidents." to be running around spreading propaganda against the state comrade i'm like wow i said that's brutal and he's he's like well there's no this is a, a phrase I've, I've said before there's no place for bourgeoisie moralism in the revolution comrade <laughs> a comrade told me this <laughs> i still use the term to this day because i thought it was fantastic i was floored but they're like no no we'll we'll shoot our opponents it's that's just the way it's gonna be like Equality? What the fuck? What are you talking about, dude? Like, real communists don't don't buy into that shit. They use those other people. In Russian, in Russian, the you know we call them useful idiots. In Russian, during the Soviet era, I forget the Russian word because I, obviously I'm not a native Russian speaker. But the Russian term is shithead. That's what they would call. Like, you can look it up. Look it up. It's out there. It's it's a real thing. Uh, what the Soviets would call the Americans who uh, marched and protested on behalf of socialism and communism in America, they would call them shitheads. <laughs> not not comrades. You weren't their comrades. You were their shitheads. Like, you were the idiots that were doing their job for them, right? And <laughs> didn't know that you were going to be the first ones up against the wall when the revolution happened. Comrade. Because real comrades are pretty brutal about that stuff. But, so, what I've been told... Sorry, that was a really long trail-off. So, what I've been told is... The problem with democracy is there are elections. By my friends who prefer a dictatorship. Meaning, uh, the North Vietnamese knew that they didn't have to win the physical war on the ground. They didn't have to beat the American army. This was not the objective of the North Vietnamese, Right? You have to think about this. The North Vietnamese weren't trying to beat the American army. They were trying to beat democracy. They were trying to beat the republic. 
Now, what's inherent in the American system? What's inherent in the Republic? What do you have? You don't have... Like, what you have in the American system is, one, the quote-unquote free press, and two, elections. So they knew that they didn't have to beat the... They didn't have to win the war on the ground. They had to win the war in Washington. They had to win the war in the media. They had to win the war against the elections. To get America to leave Vietnam was not a matter of killing, uh, you know, a certain amount of American troops in Vietnam. It was about killing the spirit of the American politicians to be there in the first place. That's how the Vietnam War was won. Not with troops on the ground, but with bullets fired from the media. Viet Cong soldiers launched hit-and-run style attacks and ambushes, and U.S. troops conducted search-and-destroy missions on a small scale. On January 30th, 1968, however, the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong launched the largest series of surprise attacks on more than 100 South Vietnamese cities, the Tet Offensive. That Lunar New Year, or Tet, North Vietnamese troops launched massive surprise attacks in mountainous regions on the Laos-Cambodia border. 85,000 North Vietnamese troops attacked five major cities in South Vietnam and almost 100 additional towns, villages, and military installations. They also attacked the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, partially penetrating the walls. A departure from previous guerrilla tactics, North Vietnam intended to achieve a decisive victory that would end the conflict. He doesn't say... A dis- he, the way he says that, you think he's talking about a military victory. If you study it militarily, the Tet Offensive for the North Vietnamese was an overwhelming absolute disaster. The Americans repelled the North Vietnamese tax with relative ease. They lost a minimal amount of people. And the North Vietnamese that were involved in the Tet Offensive, most of them, like the overwhelming majority of them, were slaughtered. It was an overwhelming military defeat for the North Vietnamese. But you don't get told that story. You have to actually read about it to learn about it. And you, you, you would think that the Tet Offensive was like this overwhelming, like huge victory for the North Vietnamese. It wasn't. They dedicated 85,000 troops and they what did they get? A hole in the wall of the embassy. That's not a lot. This is relative. This is very relative. This is, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. This is what James was talking about. This is exactly what's coming to you. But the fight was messy. The shocking strategic move marked a major turning point of the Vietnam War. The Battle of Way. It was a turning point, but not for military reasons. Intense fighting with many casualties continued for months. In February, one of the longest and bloodiest battles raged for over three weeks. The Battle of Way. During this time, North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldiers conducted house-to-house searches, arresting civil servants, teachers, religious leaders, and others... Now, remember, apparently it was like, it was all about military victories, right? Where do they get these photos from? Right? Look at the photos. Look at this photo. The old lady is strategically in the middle. There's children all around her, hands on heads. These were the images being beamed back to the United States. 
remember the time of the Vietnam War. They literally called it, right, the Cultural Revolution. 60s, free love, rock and roll, no war. Make, make love, not war. Don't trust anyone over 30. The Cultural Revolution was happening concurrently to this conflict. These are the kinds of images that were being sent back into the United States to be put on flyers for the young radicals of the university movements to go out and march and hand out, right? (laughs) There are no coincidences. Connected to the United States or South Vietnamese government, the people rounded up were labelled counter-revolutionaries and executed. After the recapture of Wei, 2,800 bodies were found massacred, and 3,000 residents were reported missing. 150 Marines were killed, along with 400 South Vietnamese troops. North Vietnam suffered even heavier casualties, losing 5,000 men. Aftermath. After weeks of fighting, there was no clear victory on either side. The Viet Cong in North Vietnam suffered a great... That's not true. Like, the, the, the Viet Cong had their asses handed to them in the Tet Offensive. But the way the media portrayed it, which you're about to see in this short five-minute clip, which they're not intending to show, like, they're not trying to show you what I'm telling you. But the North, the, v, the VC, the Viet Cong, had their asses handed to them. The Americans, the Australians, the British absolutely kicked ass in the Tet Offensive. Butchered them. Like, it was overwhelming. But the defeat, again, remember, the real war wasn't happening on the ground. The real war was happening in the hearts and minds of the quote-unquote invading forces. Military loss. By the time the fighting ceased, they had lost an estimated 58,000 men. North Vietnamese and Viet Cong losses, 58,000. The Viet Cong also failed to take any South Vietnamese or American strongholds. They did not take one stronghold and they lost nearly 60,000 men doing it. What was the effect in the American media? Here we go. The US lost 4,000 troops. 4,000. 60,000 versus 4,000. Not a single strategic point lost to the, to the enemy. That is not an even fight. That is a massacre. That is an overwhelming military victory for the United States. More than 14,000 South Vietnamese men, women and children had been killed. But despite the lower number of casualties, the United States did not emerge as winners either. There you For go. Americans, the offensive raised troubling questions. President Johnson and his advisors had promised for years that victory in Vietnam was just around the corner. Yet the television footage of U.S. Embassy personnel fighting with Viet Cong rebels showed otherwise. The <laughs> right. Johnson administration had misled the American people about the realities of the Vietnam War. These realities included the brutalization of innocent civilians. In the heat of the U.S. campaign against the Tet Offensive on March 16, 1968, U.S. troops stormed the small South Vietnamese hamlet of My Lai, expecting Viet Cong guerrillas. Finding only women, children, and elderly, they raped and killed up to 500 villagers. There's the smear. There's the smear. The guy said 30 seconds. Even though it was an overwhelming military victory for the United States, that the images being beamed back on the televisions led the public to believe that 
this was a hard, like they lost. They lost. And then on, on top of that, once you, you know, with their baby killers and stuff, we got to get the hell out of there. This is a disgrace. Next thing you know, the war was over. So now you can see why. When you think... If you have the ability to, you know, understand history with things like the Tet Offensive, for example, the most successful propaganda campaign ever administered on the American people literally ended the Vietnam War. Then you can understand in full confidence and full clarity what's going to be happening in the next few weeks when people marching up from Central and South America. Some of them might be armed, but, you know, you, you, you're you already crazy if you suggest some of them are armed, right? You see, you see how it's already started. You can't question it. Don't you dare question the motives of these people, you bigot, you Nazi, you racist. How dare you? You must not question it. They're already trying to win the media war. Because for them, the war, the, the war hasn't changed. The tactics have not changed from Vietnam. It's not about casualties on the ground. It's about winning the hearts and minds of the people trying to fight on the other side. It was Sun Tzu that said, you know, the most successful campaign in war is one where a single shot is never fired in the opposite direction. The best war you can fight is one where you don't fight at all. So you can expect a certain amount of people marching up from South and Southern America, Southern America, Central America. They'll be holding their babies in the air and the camera is going to be zoomed right in, right in on them. You'll ask yourself, how is, how is it possible that someone can get a camera lens to be right there at that point, in that infliction point? When the people trying to cross the border are met with the military, how is it possible? Because they live for this stuff. I think it was Ducks Regionist said before, um, you know, the, the MSM can't wait. <laughs> They're already there. They're already there. PR Stevens, they're, they're already they're ready and waiting to go. They've got their tripods set up, ready to capture the action. Trust me, if if some kid gets hit in the leg with a rubber bullet, you'll be the first to hear about it, and you'll be getting told that this is an unwinnable conflict. You are morally in the wrong. Only a sick and depraved person would ever support this kind of action by the military. Damn baby killers. Right? I mean, look at all the footage. Look at the pictures. Look at the pictures of the women and children. Look at the footage streaming in on our televisions. Doing the rounds on social media. I can't believe I supported this. I didn't even think it could I didn't even think it could be this way. 
the conflict is not going to be between the oncoming caravan and your military. The conflict, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be between your media and yourself. Sorry. But as we've just as we've just shown, you can't say that it hasn't happened before. <laughs> and history after all does tend to have a way of repeating itself. Just before we get into the show proper here, I've been going for an hour already. God, it's going to be a late one. I hope you're in the mood. It's going to be a late month. Uh, Let me throw this up for you. I just want to say thanks. Thanks to the guys who have been downloading the podcast, sharing the podcast. It's actually pretty exciting. Um, Like, we're nearly averaging like 50 downloads an episode, which doesn't seem like a lot, trust me. Like, I'm not bragging or anything doesn't seem like a lot but for like a new show after three weeks um nearly 50 downloads per episode i'm like oh my god that's amazing so i just wanted to thank all the people who download the podcast and listen to it if you add in the people that listen to the show on youtube it's closer to 100 so yeah that's pretty good it's pretty good it's better than none thanks so much so if we ever get to a stage where there's like 500 people listening or a thousand people listening I just want you to know that you're the special ones. Like, you're, you're the ones that mattered because you are the guys that were listening first. Now, I also want you to know that I'm going to be telling the new people the same thing, but I want you to know that I really mean it this time. And then I'm also going to tell the new listeners I really mean it this time as well, but I want you to know that I really, really mean it this time. Okay. <laughs> you get me. You follow. All right. Let's do this. No. The Shredder. It's time for the Shredder. Got an absolutely brilliant article here. Who here has seen this? This is going to be fantastic. How our drinking water could help prevent suicide. Some reachers think putting lithium in our water could save lives. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you someone that has concerns with vaccinations? (laughs) The the government cares about your concerns. Your concerns are important to us. Please hold the line. We'll be with you shortly. In the meantime, we're going to be putting lithium in your drinking water. (laughs) How many times have I said it? Too many. Oh, you're welcome, Cynthia. Lithium is a potent psychiatric drug. Isn't that a great opener? (laughs) Look, how our drinking water could help prevent suicide. Some researchers think putting lithium in our water could save lives. And the opening line, lithium is a potent psychiatric drug. I'm like, bravo. Way to sell it. (laughs) Way to sell it. Well done, Vox. Lithium is a potent psychiatric drug, one of the primary prescribed medications for bipolar disorder, but it's also an element that occurs naturally all over the Earth's crust. Well, it can't be bad then. can't be bad if it occurs naturally, like, say, poppy seeds, for example. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Yeah, you saw. Including in bodies of water. That means that small quantities of lithium wind up in the tap water you consume every day. Just how much is in the water varies quite a bit from place to place. Naturally, that made researchers curious. Are places with more lithium in the water healthier, mentally? 
do places with more lithium have less depression or bipolar or, most importantly of all, fewer suicides? Oh, yeah, I looked up the side effects before I did this. General. General saying, look up the lithium side effects. Yeah, diarrhea, um, makes people drowsy, makes people docile, and kills people in utero. (laughs) It's It's a hell of a drug. A 2014 review of studies concluded that the answer was yes. Four or five studies reviewed found that places with higher levels of trace lithium had lower suicide rates. And Nasir Gaimi, the Tufts psychiatry professor who co-authored that review, argues that the effects are large. High lithium areas, he say, have suicide rates 50 to 60% lower than those of low lithium areas. So they go on to argue that lithium should be put into the water. I love this. Why hasn't this been tried? Now, give yourself... Take our guns. We love the water. (laughs) Give yourself a moment here to analyse perhaps the... Would you say the... uh, Would you say the, the intellectual rigor that is applied to this argument and decide whether or not you think it's valid. Because I, 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 I found this one... This was one of the most amazing things I've ever read in my life. Why hasn't this been tried? This is the author from Vox. These recent studies have made me less confident in the link between lithium and lower suicide rates than I was when I first encountered Gamey's research. But, because they say the case for scepticism is uh, basically these, these studies are bullshit. Yeah? So... The recent studies have made me less confident in the link between lithium and lower suicide rates than when I first encountered Gamey's research. But it's such a cheap intervention and the odds of serious side effects sound low enough that it seems worth a try. (laughs) Yes! Yes! Let's Let's just engage in a mass drugging of the population against their will because, hey, it's cheap and it just might work. What could go wrong? (laughs) At the very least, I'd love for some governments to conduct real bona fide experiments on lithium. (laughs) Can somebody just try? Can can someone, can some government in America please just try drugging their people? Let's do it for a year and see what happens. Let's see how it works. Let's see how it works. Maybe a state could randomly add lithium to some of its reservoirs, but not others. This is the argument. <laughs> Just randomly add lithium to some reservoirs. <laughs> it's like you could just picture the politicians looking at a state map. They're looking at a state map and they've got all the reservoirs on there. And it's like, okay, sir. Which which reservoirs should we add the lithium to? Uh, that one and that one. <laughs> should we consult the scientists? No, the scientists are all good. They love the idea. They think it's fantastic, my man. There are serious ethical questions about doing experiments like this that affect whole populations, but if lithium's effect is real and we don't pursue it because we lack compelling enough evidence, thereby endangering thousands of people... That's an ethical problem too. Bravo. Do you see what's happening here? If we don't drug the whole population against their will, we'll be endangering people who would otherwise be committing suicide. Do you see the complete reversal of responsibility that's happening? And it's like, it's so casual. It's fine. 
No, 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 no. We need to drug everybody to stop a minority, a very small minority of people committing suicide because we're putting them in danger if we don't drug everyone else. Right? Have you ever heard any more insane shit in your life? No, no, no. No. We need to get everybody on drugs immediately. Otherwise, we'll be endangering the people who can't live without drugs. <laughs> Fuck, man. This is Vox. This is Vox. This is not fake news. This is real news. Real news that matters. Holy cow. All right. It's been a while since we've done this. Actually, let's let's do this one first. Let's do this one first. Let me switch my screen here. Uh, speaking about the border, we'll get into the border now. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. That was a great sound effect. That was me. That I'm doing that myself. You just go, ooh, you know, you okay. So you put your lips out, you you pout, you do a little bit of pout, ooh, and then you just stick your finger in there and jiggle it around a little bit, like this. There you go. <laughs> Seamless. I'm a total pro. <laughs> this was President Trump today. Uh, in regards to the, the immigration, it might stop mega bombers and mega shooters. Oh, yeah, the mega shooters that hate, hate President Trump. Don't let details get in the way of a good line, Philly. I love your work. Uh, let's carry on. President Trump today speaking with real news journalists about the oncoming onslaught from the South. A lot the of sovereign country is for Congress to overcome open borders obstruction. That's exactly what it is. It's open borders obstruction. No votes. You can come up with the greatest border plan, the greatest immigration plan. You won't get one vote from a Democrat. They have terrible policy. In many cases, they're terrible politicians. But the one thing I give them great credit for, they vote as a block. They stick together. (laughs) And we will end catch and release. We're not releasing any. That's actually a great tactic by Donald Trump. I've been wanting for years for um, people, politicians. Hi, Carol, you snuck in there. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Um, Pardon me. I've been wanting politicians that I'm sympathetic with for years to use this form of attack to actually point out that they vote as a block, but you do it in a way, you dress it as a compliment. Now, it might not seem obvious at first, but once I explain this to you, it will become very obvious why this is an attack and not, uh, you know, not, uh, he's not giving them a round of applause. The reason it's an attack is because you're projecting a perception onto your opponent that they are unthinking. So if you say, look, I've got a hand, I've got a lot of respect for the Democrats. I've got a lot of respect for them. They vote as a block, meaning they have no individual thoughts of their own. Because you follow that up, you surround that in rhetoric of no no matter what Democrat you vote for, they're going to do what their bosses tell them to do. Right? Right? You see? That's what Donald Trump's been doing for six months on his, on his rallies. When he goes around to these various rallies in these swing states and these tight races, he says, 
look, you can vote for this Democrat, but we know as soon as the Democrat gets elected, he's going to do or she's going to do whatever Chuck Schumer or whatever Mad Maxine and Nancy Pelosi wants them to do. So what's the point? They say all the right things here, but then they're going to do what they're told. And then the very next line, you come out and say, gee, I really respect those Democrats. They always vote as a block. (laughs) They always vote as a block. Got to hand it to them. They're committed. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad it gets, they'll always vote the way the boss tells them to. And, uh, you know, you got to respect that. But he's not respecting that. (laughs) It's a massive backhander. (laughs) That's why it's fantastic. That's when when I heard Donald Trump doing that kind of thing about two years ago. I was like, oh, this guy's good. This guy's good. He gets it. He gets it straight away. I've been saying this shit for 10 years to people. (laughs) I'm like, you know, you've got to to highlight the fact that they vote as one. You've got to highlight the fact that they vote not independently. Like there is no conscience votes on the other side. You've got to highlight the fact that they vote as like a, a machine, like an unthinking robotic machine given orders from head office. That's the way you've got to betray them that way. And they're like, no, 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 there's good people. I'm like, ah, you just don't get it. (laughs) But now people are getting it. It's good. Longer. We also must finish the job that we started by being strong at the border. When we're strong at the border, people will turn away and they won't bother. You will see in a year from now, or in certainly a period of Honey time Fodka, thanks now, for joining us. It's good to see you. Despite our very good economy, which some of them come for that, I can't blame them for that. You have to do it legally. But you will see that the numbers of people trying to get in will be greatly reduced. But that can only happen... Speaking from experience, a lot of uh, Democrats are going to come out in the next week and pick up on points like that. Maybe not a lot because there's a lot of, there's a lot of other incendiary comments that he's thrown in amongst the way. And they, it's called a consensus. No, it's not. <laughs> no, a consensus is when you get people from the opposite side to agree with you, Philly. If you're all on the same team and you're all voting the same way, even though you personally disagree with the leadership of the party, but you do so out of fear, that's called a tyranny, my friend. You see the difference? Hey, buddy. It's a tyranny. So there's going to be a lot of Democrats coming out and say, well, this this claim that uh, if you have strong action on the border, it's going to repel future attacks. That's ridiculous. There's mass migrations of people. We've never seen so many people migrate. Trust me, it's bullshit. Uh, in Australia, we lived it. So we had a Labor government. We had a conservative government first, and then uh, they were very hard on the border, cut down boat people and stuff. It was like all the refugees that were floating across the ocean stopped. The incoming left-wing government came in, said, "We're doing away with that. We, they need to be. We need to be more compassionate." And and here's a thing. Here's a thing for you to consider. So the left-wing government said, "We need to be more compassionate," and people were like, "Oh, okay, let's be more compassionate." So they were more compassionate, and what happened was they filled up the detention centres with thousands and thousands and thousands of people because they changed the policy. A policy shift, thousands of people came. Thousands of people drowned trying to get here. This was the compassionate option, apparently, letting people drown. But the ones that were fortunate enough to get here were 
under the compassionate left-wing gov- government. They were left to rot in detention centres for years and years and years. That left-wing government then lost power. They were voted out and the Conservatives were installed. They then turned around and attacked the Conservatives because so many people were in detention centres. <laughs> do, do you see? Do you see what happens here? So the left will invite the people in and then blame the right for the people being in. The left changes the policy, fills up the detention centres with women and men and children. Six months after the Conservative government is elected, there's cameras right there, zooming right into the women and children in the detention centres, in the cages, right? Behind the fences. Oh, my God, this heartless, this heartless Conservative government has women and children in cages. How could they do such a thing, the Nazis? We lived it. Luckily, at the time, we had a prime minister that said, hey, it's your fault that all the people are in there. And then they emptied the detention centres by deporting everybody. I'm like, all right, go home. And then they created a new policy where it was like, if you try to get here illegally, you will never get to the Australian mainland. If you try to enter Australia illegally, you are banned for life from coming to Australia. Ever. Ever. Never, ever, ever. If you try to get here illegally, you will never, ever set foot on the Australian mainland. That's the policy of the Australian government right now. And do you know what happened to all of those boats and all of those thousands of people that were floating across the ocean in dinghies trying to get here? Do you you know what happened to them? They all stopped. Like that. The next day. Not a single one. Why? Because if people know that there's no possible way that they could possibly get to their target, then the people smugglers have no product to sell. And if the people smugglers have no product to sell, well, then they're not going to get any fucking customers. Who buys something in a store that's with empty shelves? If the shelves are empty in the store, you're not buying anything. And if you're not buying anything, the shop owner goes out of business. Done. So he's 100% right. The media is going to tell you otherwise, but trust me, lived experience. We've seen it. We've seen it. We know it's true. So take it from an Aussie. Let's carry on. We're strong at the border, and the southern border is a big problem, and it's a tremendous problem for drugs pouring in and destroying our youth and really destroying the fabric of our country. It has never been a drug problem like we have today. And as I said, much of it comes from the southern border. No, that... Kimmy is asking, is that the new policy since the new PM? No, that was the policy under the a, a PM three PMs ago. So the Conservative government got voted back in. They kicked the left out. The Conservatives got back in under a guy named Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott was Prime Minister for about a year and a half. He was then replaced by Malcolm Turnbull. And then Malcolm Turnbull is now replaced with Scott Morrison. <clears throat> and the and the policy is actually so popular in Australia that all of the left-wing politicians say, oh, we're not going to change it. We're not going to change it. We're sorry. We're not going to change it again, I promise. But everyone knows, of course, if they get into power, that's exactly what they're going to do. So So, in the meantime, I will fulfill my sacred obligation to protect our country and defend the United States of America. And this is a defense of our country. We have no choice. We have no choice. We will defend our borders. We will defend our country. Thank you very much. 
We're working on a system where they stay together, but well, I will say that by doing that, uh, trem- Philly still playing the Democrat stereotype to a T, my friend, playing the stereotype perfectly, saying Aussies don't have great high tech cause of limiting immigration. Philly playing the Democratic stereotype perfectly still fails to understand the difference between specific merit-based immigration and just people lobbing up on the border. (laughs) He still fails to understand. But I know Philly's not a stupid person and I know he's doing it deliberately in order to blur the lines between unintended, unknown, illegal immigrant and actual immigrant getting a job in the high-tech world. Yes, I'm sure lots of those people from Honduras, Philly, are just, like, they're just the next Apple genius, right? It's like all of all of the people that migrated to uh, Europe in the last few years. You know, what? 65% of them are illiterate in their own language. I'm sure they're going to be working as engineers in a BMW factory like tomorrow, you know? <laughs> they can't read and write Arabic, but I'm sure they'll pick up German like that, right? I'm sure that the high-tech economy is just waiting for people from Honduras to lob up on the border. I'm sure I'm sure that's the way it works by Democrat Fred. Cobrad. Anyway, let's carry on. <laughs> this numbers, you know, and under the Obama plan, you could separate children. They never did anything about that. Nobody talks about that. But under President Obama, they separated children from the parents. We actually put it so that that didn't happen. But what happens when you do that is you get tremendous numbers of people coming. It's almost like an incentive to, when they hear they're not going to be separated, they come many, many times over. But President Obama separated the children from the parents, and nobody complained. When we continued the exact same law, this country went crazy. <laughs> so we are going to uh, continue and try to continue what we're doing. This country went crazy. Uh, but it, it is a tremendous incentive for people to try. But it's going to be very, very hard for people to come into our country. So... We think we'll be able to do that. I hope not. Here we go. Here we go. I hope hope there won't be that. But I will tell you this. Anybody throwing stones, rocks, like they did to Mexico and the Mexican military, Mexican police. This is your trigger warning. This is your freak out line. Oh, freak out. Freak out. Badly hurt police and soldiers of Mexico. We will consider that a firearm because there's not much difference. When you get hit in the face with a rock, which, as you know, it was very violent a few days ago, very, very violent. That break-in, it was a break-in of a country. They broke into Mexico. See, the beauty of this is the absolute deception that the mainstream corporate media is going to be trying to play on people. So on the one hand, they're going to be saying that Donald Trump's words matter. Hear me out here. For the last week and a half, they've been saying that everything that Donald Trump says matters. But for the previous two years before that, they've been saying that nothing he says really matters because everything he says is a lie. He just lies all the time. He's full of bombast so don't don't pay any attention to him. He's kind of like he he exaggerates. He like nothing he says matters. <clears throat> but then, since the you know the quote unquote MAGA bomber who we haven't heard much about, who actually worked in the same strip club as Stormy Daniels, believe it or not, and I thought that was a very interesting little tidbit that nobody's talking about. Did you guys hear about that? 
Caesar Sayok working in the same strip club as Stormy Daniels. What are, what are the odds, huh? What are the odds? What a coinky dink. <laughs> but anyway, putting that to one side. So for a week and a half, they've been saying that everything that Donald Trump says matters. It, it matters. So in this, in this moment, in this sphere, in this paradigm, who do you think he's talking to? My Democrat friends, I'll ask you, do Donald Trump's words matter now? So if Donald Trump's words do matter, my Democrat comrades, and if indeed they have the ability to create violent acts in the people that listen to them, then would you not think, my comrade friends, that it would be indeed a wise idea to instruct your friends south of the border down Mexico way to pitch up and turn about and head the fuck on home. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a smart call? I mean, if you really cared, if you really cared about the caravan, wouldn't you want them to not get shot? Wouldn't you want them to not be confronted by a military? If Donald Trump's words matter, that is. I mean, if Donald Trump's words matter... Why would you want why would you want to put people in harm's way, comrades? You know, call me somewhat simple, but it seems a tad disingenuous to march people up to the southern border with Donald Trump saying rocks will be treated as rifles to just march them up because you want to portray him as some kind of racist or something. That seems a little bit seems a little bit desperate, doesn't it? If you ask me. Hey, what do I know? What do I know? Just a colonial. And you look at what's happening in Guatemala, just to mention Guatemala, along with El Salvador and Honduras. It's disgraceful that those countries aren't able to stop this because they should be able to stop it before it starts. And the United States pays them a fortune. Kimmy gets it. They do want them to get shot so they can have the optics. If you missed the start of the show when we were talking about the Tet Offensive in that it wasn't a military exercise, it was the most successful propaganda campaign ever orchestrated on the American people of all time, I suggest you go back and watch it for context, comrades. And we're looking at not doing that anymore, because why should we be doing that when they do nothing for us? You know. President, Jeff, Jeff, go ahead. How is this plan going to be legal, considering current law? Oh, this is totally are idiots. We're stopping Aren't people they? at the border. This is an invasion and nobody's even questioning that. This is an invasion, and nobody is even questioning that. We haven't done this in a while. It's time for... The Weekly Stelter. I found someone questioning it. <laughs> Our boy Bri Bri. I've, I've really got to reorganise my little things here. I was helping Kimmy out during the week with, uh, you know, how to stage and how to set things up on OBS. I've really got to work on it myself. I'm not. I'm. I'm really not as smooth as people assume. Uh, we found someone who <laughs> thinks it's not an invasion. Let's go to my band, my man, Bry, my bro, my Bry, bro. Social media posts by the man who police say carried out a massacre at a Pittsburgh synagogue show that he was railing against what he called immigrant invaders. Now, that is language you have heard from the president and also somewhere else. 
a lot. A whole lot. <laughs> if you've ever used the term invasion in regards to a whole a thousands of people who arrive unannounced and unwelcome, some of them holding small arms, then I'm afraid you're a bigot. <laughs> and I'm afraid it was all it's all Donald Trump's and Fox News's fault. Let's carry on. Get more from Brian Stelter. Please. The Pittsburgh shooting suspect's hatred of Jews merged with his hatred of immigrants to deadly results. See, his hatred of Jews merged with his hatred of immigrants. Are there many Jews in Honduras? This is news to me. I'm not sure. But anyway, let's carry on with Brian. He called migrants invaders, using the same dehumanizing language that's been saturating right-wing radio and TV. Right-wing radio. Horde. This is an invasion. This is an invasion. We may never know where the suspect heard these ideas. <laughs> we may never know where the suspect heard these ideas. This, the, the word invasion. <laughs> See, Brian isn't even good at this. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't have to show the Fox News clips if you were good at this, right? Because you would already create the perception in the audience that it's already somebody else's fault without actually showing the clips. He thinks it's good to show the clips. But then he kind of, like, he, just to cover his own ass, he's, so he shows the clips and, like, they're saying invasion, invasion, invasion. We may never know where the suspect heard this word. <laughs> Because it's not about what the suspect heard. It's about demonising the people using the word. All the people using the word. Whether they shot anybody or not. It's not about... See, this is the thing. Something something we call in this space called a mirror argument. And we'll, we'll get to Jim Acosta later on in the show. But the mirror argument is... Basically, you know, you've heard it before, you accuse the other person of what you're doing. So the the accusation here is that people who use the term uh, invader are manifesting violence in the audience, right? But what he's doing is actually accusing the people of using the term invader of the violence by proxy. So he's not trying to, like, find out the truth about this guy's motivation. He's trying to erase the word invasion. He wants people to not use the word invasion. Same, like, cast your mind back to, like, this is, this is like reverse newspeak stuff. This is how you get this kind of thing rolling. You make people, like, ashamed of using a certain word because you associate meme it to something else. You, you meme it to, to an action. You connect it to an action, right? So... Cast your mind back a couple of weeks ago to the mob and remember how CNN was all in for, like, they called it the M word. We can't use the M word. So they were desperate to not have their supporters be associated with the term mob because, like, there is no happy mob, right? A mob only has negative connotations. Negative inferences are drawn from the word mob. There is no happy mob. There's no joyous mob. There's no mob of people that run around and hand out sweets to small children. It doesn't happen. There's, there's only angry mobs. <laughs> so they were desperate not to have the word mob associated with their supporters, and they did everything to do it. Of course, they did it poorly because I think all of the best journalists and the best propagandists have retired now or something. 
or maybe they're working independently on the internet. I don't know. They're definitely not working at CNN. Wherever they are, they're not at CNN because the CNN people just kept repeating the word mob and mob and mob over and over and over again for about a week, only accelerating the memeing. Like they only accelerated the association between their supporters and the word mob. So what he's trying to do here is like he's trying to stop the association between the caravan and the word invasion. And he thinks by linking the word invasion, by taking one word out of maybe what what is it, Tom, if you're in the chat? I think I think this guy had about three hundred and fifty tweets or something like that. Something like that. <clears throat> you know, he had a whole lot of posts, a lot of which were actually critical of Donald Trump, believe it or not. So they've taken one word out of these all of these tweets and they're like, that's, that's, we've got him. We've got him now. So it's like, hey, you can't use the term invasion. If you use the term invasion, why, you're no better than someone who walks into a synagogue and shoots a bunch of people with an AR-15. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that guy, do you? You don't want to be like that guy, do you? You don't want to use the term invasion, do you? God, that's, it's insane. Don't use the word invasion. But, of course, the, the, the best part is no one's watching Brian anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But let's carry on. We're watching now. so Believed them. But we do know that the hate crime coincided with a rise in hateful language. From the Infowars fringe ah. to Fox's primetime lineup. You have this invasion. <laughs> I, love, I love the inference. The, inf- the Infowars fringe. What was it during the election? Infowars had like 80 million people a week watching. <laughs> That's a big fringe. It's a big fucking fringe. <laughs> the fringe of Infowars is actually bigger than CNN's Brian Stelter's audience. If Infowars is the fringe and Infowars is like 10 times bigger than the people that watch Brian Stelter, what does that make Brian Stelter? I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how to numerically categorize that in a slur. You know what I mean? So if the slur for the Infowars audience is fringe, then what the fuck is Brian Stelter? Like, what comes after fringe? Like, I didn't even know. <laughs> anyway, just a thought. ...coming over every day. Almost as soon as the migrant caravan formed in Central America. It's a kind of invasion. Fox News, Talking Heads, and President Trump made it out to be a major threat. You do not have the right to come here. Oh, she's a firecracker. We do not invite you here. You cannot stay here. Oh, she's, isn't she the best? She's just hot. Republican leaders echoed this line. We have to treat this as an invasion. And look at the online reactions. This is an invasion. This is an act of attacking the United States sovereignty. Scroll down on... If Fox News didn't exist, Brian Stelter would not have anything to do. If Fox News didn't exist, none of these... They, I watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC, right? Because I, <clears throat> I like to track. I like to keep an eye on things. So I, I follow a lot of CNN and MSNBC. I follow 90% of the media I take in is like ultimate left-wing publications because I'm a sadist like that. Honestly, the amount of time these people dedicate to talking about other broadcasters is, is insane. It is insane. If you ever catch me spending 90% of my periscopes talking about other people on Periscope, shoot me. You have permission to shoot me. <laughs> If I ever got a cable news show, I would not be talking about other people on cable news. I'd be talking about something else. 
But just so, like, so if we're all existing on the same level here, so I'm on Periscope right now and YouTube and stuff. If you ever see me spending 90% of my time complaining about other people on Periscope and YouTube and Twitter and stuff, you'll know that I've fucking given up. You'll know that it's over. You'll know that I like, I have no, I have nothing to offer <laughs> and I drink heavily. On any of these videos on YouTube and the fire was raging with commenters screaming about an invading army. Even though the migrants were, were 1,000 miles away and fleeing danger. One voice on Fox tried to point that out. The president has called it an assault on the U.S. border. It is absolutely not. But his audience rejected that. Shep Smith reading a tweet from a viewer. Sorry, Shep. We are not falling for your fake story. This is an invasion. Was the go- See, they didn't play the whole comment from Shep there. The whole comment from Shep was, when he was reading the tweet, was, sorry, Shep, we're not falling for your fake story. This is an invasion. The president has intel that you don't have. And he went on to say, "That's no, he doesn't. He has politics, not intel. And then it turns out that the, uh, is it the, what is it, the Department of Homeland Security? I lose track of all your three-letter departments. But DHS, they came out and said, no, yeah, we've got intelligence that there's, like, drug dealers and, you know bad dudes in the in the caravan we know this is true and shep's up there going this is not true (laughs) it's ridiculous it's ridiculous of course he's the one that brian stelter holds up but he only plays half of the quote (laughs) brian brian come on bro brian i see brian i play your whole clip i give you the chance i want to hear every single word that you say I want to. I want to break down every sentence that you say. I'm not going to cut you off. I'm not going to. I'm not going to edit this to make it look worse for you. I don't have to. I have that confidence in you, Brian. I know that you're going to bring the goods every time we play a clip. It's going to be fine. But he's like, oh, Shepard Smith. Shepard Smith on Fox News. He 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 didn't believe the. <laughs> he was in favor of the back caravan. He plays like two sentences of a of a clip that went for four minutes. <laughs> I don't know why they call us fake news. I don't know why they say we're biased. Anyway. Unmen watching, we may never know. But the right-wing climate was full of outrage. Six days before the shoot. Okay, that's fantastic. The, the right-wing climate was full of outrage. Let's go to this. The now notorious image of Kathy Griffin holding the severed head of Donald Trump. They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. Well, I'd like to punch him in the face. He intended to use that gun to kill Donald Trump. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Well, my answer to that is... Oh, this is good. Where was... (laughs) No, you just... Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? <laughs> what would you say? And he has an, an answer just like that. Hemlock. If you're going to shoot him, you've got to shoot to kill. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. I will go and take Trump out tonight. I'll meet him in a hotel room any motherfucker. <laughs> day of the week and give him a Louisville slugger. 
So government's going to kill this guy. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? That I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you yes. think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. That we, when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, that Allah accepts from us that as a form of jihad. In March, a demonstrator was arrested during a rally in Dayton, Ohio, after he tried to rush the candidate on stage. There you go. <laughs> Brian Stelter, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Stelter's got a flawless argument. What was that argument again, Brian? Commenters screaming about an invading army. Oh, an invading even army. Even though the migrants oh. were 1,000 miles away and fleeing. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you read that correctly. Brian Stelter is going to YouTube comment sections for his in-depth research. Yep. Well, I was looking at the comments under this video on YouTube and a few people use the term invading army. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Someone pull the alarm. We've got a violence fuckfest going on here. There are people in the YouTube comments talking about invading army. Oh, my God, somebody is going to shoot up a synagogue. Woo! Brian Stelter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yep. All of these other people. Ah, oh, don't worry. No, no, no. That's art that's going on. That's just art. Ah, ah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. All right. I think we'll take a quick break, ladies and gents. I'll be back in about four or five. I've got heaps more to go through. Don Lemon, Mika Brzezinski. We've got President Trump again. Is Apu racist? I want to get into that. I've got a bunch of articles for you to do as well. It's going to be a long one. Sorry I crapped on for so long at the start. Uh, We've got some Washington Post stuff. We've got human teeth in a dentist wall. That's going to be fun. And I've got Samantha B. Oh, we've got so much. Morning, Joe. Wow, rock and roll. It is hot as a motherfucker, though, and I have been drinking to keep my body temperature down. So I will be back in a few minutes after I take a little pee. See you soon. James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TABshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TABshow.com. Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Stream Me, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, 
or YouTube Wednesday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Now that is a freaking awesome I think a lot of it is he's free where they're not. If you are on the side of the politically correct, then you are, it's like you're constrained by the weapon that you're trying to hit somebody else with. Does that make sense? Like you can't, you can't profess the virtues of political correctness and overt sensitivity and not offending people and then come out and do it because you'll be a traitor to your own cause. So if you don't sign up to that politically correct mindset, if you don't fall into the I must not offend crowd, then you're really free. And they're not because they can't attack, they can only attack you by saying how offensive you are. And if it's particularly unpopular at the time to be, you know, uh, politically correct, then guess what? Every single time that you use the only weapon that you can, which is political correctness, you get less popular and the person that you're attacking gets more popular just by the fact that you're attacking them. Because if you're saying that these people are so politically correct, like they they can't say whatever they want, every time you try to attack the guy, you prove his point. You you make him stronger. It's like trying to fire nukes into the sun and think you're going to blow it up. It doesn't work that way. You're just adding to the combustion. It's not going to stop. It's not, it's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. The way these people approach it, they, they just don't get it. He, he's not going to just suddenly snap out of it. He's not going to start being what you want him to be. It's only going to get faster and harder. But they, they don't see that. They don't understand. So that, I mean, because that's the bubble. That's the privileged bubble of going straight from college into a, you know, into the media and living in that environment and all of your colleagues agree with you. Welcome to the Daily Boogie.
We're back. Thanks for sticking around. If you did, if you didn't, see you next time, sucker. Um, I did refresh my beverage. I don't know. This could get messy by the end. I'm just letting you know. It's like a sauna in this bitch. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually doing something that I would never normally do. I've got the store, uh, the store, the door of the studio open, so I can just let some air come in. So at any time, you might hear dogs barking or something like that. I would never. I'd like to keep everything as sound controlled as possible in this little space. I, f- I feel much better. Thank you. Thanks for asking, Key Wizard. Did you take a cold shower? No, but I might next time. Next time I take a break, I might take a cold shower. James R's in the house. He's working very hard. Uh, James, if you do get a chance, go back and watch the start of the show. I gave you a mention. I, I did a lovey. You know, a lovey? Well, I, I know James, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talk a little bit. We talk a bit behind the scenes. And, yeah. Well, I just you know, hang out with him sometimes, you know. Yeah, I'm not. You know, it's not, not. It's not a thing or anything. Like, he's not even famous, you know. But you know, you just hang out sometimes. He's kind of buds, so it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this was fun. So we've we've analysed. Okay, <clears throat> Brian Stelter thinks that the invader term is what causes shootings at synagogues. We have proven undeniably that if, you know, of course, if rhetoric was the if if rhetoric was the soil that was tilled in order to manifest aggressive actions, then surely uh, this isn't you know, if 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 you know, people on the left will say, Oh, the shoe if the shoe fits, you know and they say, Oh, you're a Nazi and say, Oh, well, if the shoe fits and I'm like, Yes, but the shoe the shoe fits on both the right and the left foot, comrade. So don't don't con, you know don't tie the noose for your own neck so to speak metaphysically of course metaphorically but so Brian Stelter is uh, now getting paid obviously six figures to work at CNN to look through YouTube comments for people using the term invader <laughs> believe it or not believe it or not there was three I counted three people that used the term invading army in this YouTube clip. This proves that Donald Trump caused the synagogue shooting. It's like, bravo, bravo. I, I couldn't even be that bad if I tried. Like, if, if, if I took all of my uh, education on, you know, media and writing and stuff like that <clears throat> and said, okay, for 30 seconds, I'm going to pretend like I don't know any of it, I still couldn't come up with something that bad. It's incredible. But that's what he does. So... <clears throat> What we've known for a long time, um, I was talking about this 18 months ago in regards to North Korea. I did a couple of videos on it. I think they're on the Common Discourse channel. If you look for the North, if you go to the Common Discourse YouTube channel and look for North, put North Korea in the search, you'll find it. We did like a 45 minute, 50 minute show about how Donald Trump's approaching the North Korea problem by doing something different to everybody else in the previous four administrations. So, and we went through them. We went through the stats. It was a New York Times article. So it was um, George W. George H. W. Bush did this. He promised this. He got X result. B. 
Bill Clinton did this, promised this, got X result. Barack Obama, uh, George W. Bush did this, promised this, got X result. Barack Obama did this, promised this, got X result. Donald Trump comes in and does something different, and then the media goes crazy. Says, you can't do this. Everybody's been doing it the exact same way. You can't, you can't deal with North Korea in this fashion. This is crazy. And I'm like, well, it's obvious what he's doing. He's diminishing the threat by, like, mocking it. Because it's very difficult for people to be afraid of something that they laugh at. Right? If you're laughing at so, Like, we were talking about this in the start of the show. If you don't think that um, military people in a war scenario dehumanize their opponents, then there's something wrong with you. You're not living in the real world. You have to dehumanize your opponents in a military setting, in a war scenario, because otherwise you're not going to be able to shoot them. And if you, you know, if you, if you take the the view, the worldview that the Democrat leaders have, that it's entirely wrong to dehumanize your opponents and make them like to mock them, because oh, that's not fair. Then you you're going to be conquered tomorrow. You're going to be conquered like yesterday. Because sure as shit, everyone else around the world has no problem dehumanizing you, America, and dehumanizing us. Shit, we just watched a video. The media, the media does it on a daily basis, right? It's wrong to dehumanize people, you Nazi scum. It's like what, what? Say what now? <laughs> it's wrong to dehumanize people, you dregs of society, xenophobic bigot scum of the earth. What? Hey, what? Thought it was wrong. Shut up, bigot. Right. So what Donald Trump did was like he said, okay. Um, so all of the other presidents like treated this as a serious threat. And that's not to say that it's not a serious threat, but he didn't treat it like a serious threat. He was like, okay, if you want to bomb us, try it. My my button's bigger and it works. You know, like little Rocket Man thinks he's going to launch a couple of missiles at the United States. We'll wipe him off the face of the fucking earth if he tries anything. We will shoot his missiles out of the sky and level the fucking place before he's even had a chance to take a breath and say, what the fuck was that? And that's the way he approached it. And look what happened. Next thing you know, little... Next thing you know, little Kim's so far up Donald Trump's ass, he can taste what's at the back of his tongue. So, carrying on with that theme that people still haven't recognised yet. Right here, with the incredible men and women that make this country run. You know it too. In just five days, the people of Missouri are going to retire far-left Democrat Claire McCaskill. Who's been saying such nice... See, this is the thing. Sam Sam knows I respect him. I respect a lot of Democrats. I respect a lot of people on the left. Like I was telling you in the, um, the earlier part of the show, I grew up with people who are legitimate communists who want a dictatorship and who will say they will shoot their opponents when they take power. And they mean it. <laughs> Believe it or not. One might argue that's how I understand the psychology of the left as well as I do. But the thing is, you there's, there's a habit here for Donald Trump's opponents to allow themselves 
a sense of superiority here. And I don't need, I don't mean the shallow superiority. I don't mean, you know, don't let the media fool you. I know Sam doesn't let the media fool him. He hates cable news. He says they're complicit in this. But there is a fundamental misunderstanding of how Donald Trump works and how he operates. You know, I once got told by someone who was very intelligent, act dumb, you'll learn more. Act dumb, learn more. If you act smart, people don't tell you anything. If you act dumb, people tell you everything. I mean, like coppers do this. Coppers, when a copper gets when a copper gets their perp and sits them down and interrogates them, they already know ninety five percent of the story, but they pretend like they don't. They act like they don't. And and that 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 kind of you know, that perceived weakness by the person sitting on the other side leads them to explain things that they otherwise wouldn't explain. Leads them to doing things that they otherwise wouldn't do. So if you have, like, no respect for the person opposite, if you if you feel that you are intellectually superior to your opponent, then you're going to make mistakes. And you you will make mistakes. It's not a question of whether you won't make mistakes or you will make you you will you absolutely make mistakes. Uh, I don't know how many people here play cards or have played chess. I grew up playing chess. Love chess. Love it. Learn how to play chess when I was about five years old. If you uh, underestimate the person sitting opposite from you, you're going to make mistakes subconsciously because you think you're be- like there's no possible way that I can lose this game because this guy's an idiot. Like, there's no possible way that I can't win this because this guy's dumb. He says dumb things. His supporters are dumb, right? What matters, though, is whether the person on the other side is smart enough to seize upon your mistakes. Making mistakes doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose a game of chess or poker. What, what loses you the game is if the person on the other side is smart enough to seize upon your mistakes. And I would put it to you, with about three years under our belt of constant coverage, more coverage of any other presidency known to man, that's undeniable. No presidency, no administration has been covered as closely and as negatively as this one right here. Never. Never happened. If Donald Trump farts downwind, somebody will write an article about it. I smelt Donald Trump's, they, uh, Donald Trump's farts. They smelt like tacos. Put that to print. It's going to happen. So if you consider yourself superior, you're going to make mistakes. And those, the opponents of Trump right now, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to give you my objective outside of you. The opponents of Donald Trump right now operating on his level are making mistakes because they consider themselves to be superior. And the reason that they're losing, they might be superior. I'm not not saying they're not. They might be a hell of a lot smarter. But the problem is he's smart enough and he might be just smart enough to capitalize on their mistakes. And that's the game. That's the game. When confronted with an opponent who is superior in skill and intellect to yourself, you need only present yourself as a dithering moron that they could obviously beat. 
and then capitalize on all the mistakes they make because they're not paying attention to what you're doing because they they think they're superior to you. I want a lot of money that way. Let's carry on. Things about me, but you know what? She'll never vote with me. That's the problem. He's been saying nice things. I said, I didn't know she was a Republican. She'll never vote. She'll never vote. She never has. And she didn't even vote for Justice Kavanaugh. Think of that. Didn't vote. And you're going to send Missouri Patriot. And that's what he is. He loves your state. He loves you as people. He loves this country. Josh Hawley to the United States Senate. I love the fist pump. (laughs) He's a good man. He'll be a star. Josh shares your values, and he will fight for your values all the time. So I need everyone to show... See, little things like that. He will be a star. He will be a star. It's not if he gets elected, he'll be a star. It's he will be a star. He's going to win. Another very smart person that I was friends with. I'm, I'm friends with smart people. I'm very lucky. People who have very good jobs and work in very high-powered positions. And another one of these smart people said to me once, you know, Boogie, obviously they didn't call me Boogie, but they said, you know, Boogie, um, the key to an interview is act like you've already got the job. I'm like, what do you mean? And so they go in for a job. They interview for a job worth maybe, you know, $200,000 a year. And they don't sit there and say, if you hire me, I'm going to do this. If you hire me, I'm going to do this. They say, when you hire me, I'm going to do this. When you hire me, I'm going to do that. And it doesn't seem like a big thing, but what you're doing is projecting success into the future onto the person that you're talking to. Because when you say when instead of if, they're already imagining you in the position and they don't even know it. Manifesting, exactly. It's a thing. When I get this job, I'm going to do this. In this position, I will do X. In this role, I will do Y. Not if you hire me, I will do Y. (laughs) Sam, it it works with women too, he says. Ladies man, Sam. Go up and vote. You got to vote for Josh. The world's Sam's. And that's why I'm here, other than the fact I like you very much. Sam's California's most eligible bachelor. I'm sorry, Sam. Uh, the most attractive women are conservatives. Just to let you know, you you may have to, uh, you know, turn to the turn to the dark side, my son. If you turn to the dark side, all of the richest punan will be yours. We will rule this galaxy of breasts together. <laughs> and I'm actually coming back on Monday. Do you believe it? Coming back to Missouri on Monday, we've got to make sure he's a star in our country. He is going to Join do something me. special. He's going to represent you for a long time, and he's going to represent you well. They're already imagining it. This is one of the most important elections of our lifetime. This election will decide whether we build on an extraordinary prosperity that we have achieved Probably the greatest economy in the history of our nation. Think about it. It is. (laughs) Or whether we let 
General Eaton says it's the essence of the magic of uh, the magic watch line. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Clara McCaskill. And the radical Democrats wipe it all away. And they can do that. We gotta win. James says Boogie just wants the blonde half. It's not half. The blondes are, are a minority. I'm all for minority rights. Did you know women with blonde hair and blue eyes are like less than, what, 1.5% of the Earth's population? I'm all for minority rights. <laughs> and I wish to impregnate all of them. <laughs> to perpetuate the species, of course. Under Republican leadership, America is booming. America is thriving. And America is winning because we are finally putting America first. The unemployment rate just fell to the lowest level in over 50 years. More Americans are working now than any time in history. Think of that. More Americans. Just think of that. So today, right now, we have more Americans working than any time, any time in the history of our country. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That'll be a very good sound bite. That'll be a very good sound bite. Yes, it will. Sorry to drop a little red pill on you here, though. <clears throat> um, the problem is, what do we do 10 years from now? 15 years from now? See, this is thing like things. These are things that myself, Tom Chatelet, James R, people who I trust and people who I've had these long, in-depth conversations. Like we've had conversations that go for ten hours, and none of it's broadcasted. Just talking about this stuff. People who have the ability to project into the future, like you, you, you can't just you can't just live like in this moment. And I'm not trying to sound condescending or anything. But every moment leads to a moment, leads to a moment, leads to a moment. And there, and there are various timelines that humanity can go down. The, the big fight, in, in five years, no one is even, maybe not five, in ten years, no one's even going to care about left and right. No one's going to care about Republican and Democrat. The, the conversations that we'll be having are like AI, automation, Right. And yes, it's a beautiful thing that like more there's there's never been a like a lower unemployment, more people have never worked, however you want to say it, however you want to spin it. But the problem is <laughs> there's there's soon there's not going to be enough jobs for the people that exist. Which I would argue is part of the reason why uh people have been trying to inflate our our population mass artificially for the last 30 years with mass immigration in order to spur on that chaos moment. People on the other side of the aisle would disagree with me, but I would say that's been like, that's been a big driving force behind it. Let's, let's, let's fill, let's fill the space with as many low uh, skilled workers as we possibly can. And then when automation kicks in, guess what we can do? It's like, it's like, it's like 1917 all over again, comrade. Ah, oh, the capitalists! The capitalists are hoarding all of the money. All, all you need to do, working class people, is overthrow the capitalists. They're the ones replacing you with the robots. Yes. Do as we say. March as we march. 
and then you will own the means of production. Just a theory. Let's carry on. In the debate, when we face one of those Democrats, whoever it may be, African-American and Hispanic-American poverty are at an all-time low. Our economy is at an all-time high. Hi. We've cut a record number of job-killing regulations more than any administration in the history of our country in less than two years, by the way, in less than two years. So we've done in less than two years what any other president or administration did in four years, in eight years, or in one case, in more than eight years. We've cut more. Pretty good. And we have more to cut. Republicans passed a massive tax cut for this working is just the, families. This is the build-up part of the speech. And we will soon follow it up. 10% tax cut. What I'm getting to class. is the mocking. I'll show you here what he's doing. And remember- I'll show you here what he's doing and then do it in reverse if we get time. I've got a great, great video for you by a Chinese scientist um, explaining how AI is going to take over in the future and why the Chinese labor force is more ready and um, ready and willing to adapt to their future than the Americans are. Basically, the Americans are slow, they're lazy. What did he do? Economic growth. No, no, no. So, okay, you're asking what do you do, Sam? What he's doing there is like just uh, pumping. So with these kinds of rally-type speeches, what you want to do is like build a a nice solid baseline. It's like like a band, okay? So a band opens with their great song and ends like they encore with their great song. You know what I mean? You don't start slow. You come out hot. Bang, bang, because what you want is like continuous cheers, continuous cheers, continuous cheers. He understands show business, and you're right there. He does. So you, you want to get like a rolling wave effect of cheering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're priming the pump. You're priming the pump for what comes next. Remember, the Democrats are going to substantially raise your taxes, just what you need. We're putting our coal miners and steel workers back to work. We're taking care of our veterans and our military. And we will soon have the most powerful military that we've ever had by far. The choice in this election could not be more clear. The Republican agenda is the mainstream agenda of the American people. It's how we... Notice he didn't say the Trump agenda. Everyone knows it's the Trump agenda, but he said the Republican agenda. Why? Because Republicans need to get elected in order to enact the Trump agenda. It's about you, not about me. The Democrat agenda is the agenda of the extreme far left. They've gone crazy, folks. They've gone totally loco. Republicans are the party of all Americans. (laughs) We welcome citizens from all walks of life and embrace freedom of thought, freedom of That's what sound checks are for, Steph. Come on, bro. The Democrats are the party of rigid ideology and total 
conformity. They demand absolute agreement, and they dismiss, demean, and demonize anyone Don't know why that's happening. Are we still on? I think we're still on. I think we're still on. Wow, that's disappointing. Questions their radical ideas. Did you ever see anything like what's going on? You can't have dinner. Can't have dinner. (laughs) Shouldn't be slow loading. It's been fast all day. Come on now. This now this is this is the point. This is the peak. This is like the tease. This is foreplay. Imagine at the end of foreplay, your partner gets up and goes, "Okay, I got to go to work now." What? What? What the hell is this? You see what they're doing to our people? I mean, see what they're doing to people that represent our thought. And we're being so nice. We're being so nice. And let's stay being nice, right? We'll stay being nice. Because we are tough as hell. We, we're going to stay nice. We've been nice. We're going to stay nice. We're going to stay nice. <laughs> so is his, does his rhetoric matter there? Do his words matter there? Remember, Brian Stelter said everything that he says matters. So he's like, we're tough as hell, but we're going to stay nice. Does that matter? No. No, 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 no. Republicans are always not nice, ladies and gentlemen. I thought you knew this by now. Love when he struts around. Don't forget, we've got the police law enforcement loves us. Now listen to what he's doing here. Listen to the messaging. I said to the police the other day, We're so high in the polls, we're trying to figure out who is representing the other side. We don't even know. We want to figure it out. But we have the police, we have law enforcement. They're great people. We have bikers for Trump. Bikers for Trump. (laughs) Is that 100% or like 90%? Do you think it's an accident he went from police and law enforcement to bikers for Trump? Do you think he did that by accident? Just a question to ponder. Just a question to ponder. It's up to you. 95%? It's like we got we them have, all, baby. The we got them all. The is for us. We got both the ends of the spectrum. The veterans are all for us. Veterans' choice. We got them veterans' choice. No, we want to be nice. We're much tougher. See? Now, that's the second time he said, we want to be nice, we're much tougher. (laughs) Dana, vroom, vroom. (laughs) So what he's doing is by saying, we've got the military, we've got the law enforcement, and we've got bikers for Trump. Power. Millie gets it. Power. 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 How, How the Americans would say it. Power. Power. Does it really matter? Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Remember, all of these words matter. Brian Stelter told us so. So what he's doing is we've got the military, we've got law enforcement, but we've also got the bad guys. <laughs> you know you know the bad guys? You know the bikers? 
you know, those guys, they like us too. So, you know, but we're going to be nice. We're going to be okay. And then what does he project onto his opponents? Well, it's a position of weakness. What do they have? We've got the military. We've got the, we've got law enforcement. Remember, he just he was saying he, he's like I, I met with the guys from law enforcement. I'm asking who repre- who do they represent? Who have they got? He's like we don't we don't even know who they've got. We don't know who they've got, but we've got the bikers and the military. So we don't even know who they've got, and then this happens. We're much smarter. We're much more sane. Projecting irrational mobs. Law and order. We don't run around like Antifa with the little arms and then go home, back home into mommy's basement. To my comrades on the left, my Antifa comrades on the left. Do you know what he's saying? He's not afraid. You know how you think that this revolution is like, it's this revolution is definitely going to happen. Everyone's afraid of you. You wear the black masks. You get in the streets. You resist. This, this, this is what it looks like when someone laughs at you. These people are laughing at you. And your opponents are not weak. Do you, do, do you, here's a question for my comrades in Antifa. Do you really think that you are going to take over America when you're not only going up against the cops and the military? Because the cops and the military have rules, right? They have rules. They have rules of engagement. They have to fill out paperwork when they shoot somebody. It's a, it's a pain in the ass, really. It's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. There's too much paperwork. And you know it too. And that's why you can get up in their faces and give them the finger and talk about how they're fascist. And you can wave your little arms around, right? This is how you can try to project power in the face of ultimate authority. But he's also got the bikers as well. (laughs) You know the bikers that don't generally tend to care about the rules as such? You know them? Sam's saying, Antifa are 40 people. That's a myth of the right wing. It's not a myth. Then definitely not a myth, I can assure you. I I would agree with you. I would agree with you in that they are uh, not as effective as they would like to be. Uh, The Antifa of Europe, for example, is is a, a formidable beast. Formidable beast. And the Americans are trying to start their own chapter of the Antifa in Europe, which is actually like where it's where its home is. But it doesn't matter. It it, it wouldn't matter if it's four hundred or four thousand or forty thousand or four million. This is all about a projection of strength and a mocking tone to diminish. This is this is a demoralization that's happening here. And put on the black uniform and the black helmet. Oh, it's so disappointing when those helmets fall off and you look at this weak little face. <laughs> we got the bikers in the military. You got a weak little clubs. face. You know, they hit them again. That's what he's again. doing. Oh, they're so lucky. We're nice. Oh. oh, 
they're so lucky. <clears throat> then they go back home. Third time he said, we're so nice. We're so nice. Because he's he's what he's doing is counteracting the narrative. He's counteracting the perception that... Uh, that's been in the press for a week and a half. Now, how many people pick up on this? I'm not sure they do, but it, it imprints on a subconscious level. This is what school, good speech writing is, ladies and gentlemen. It imprints on a subconscious level. There's a reason that he said, we're so nice three times in that little five-minute run, whilst telling everybody how powerful the people that believe in him are. So for a week and a half, the narrative has been non-stop that Donald Trump supporters listen to every single word he says and then go out and commit acts of violence. This has been the this has been the portrayal in the corporate media. Now, what Donald Trump is doing here is he is saying that, hey, look at who supports me. We've got cops, we've got the military, we've even got fucking biker gangs. We have biker gangs that are on our side. What do you guys have? You've got weak little guys with skinny arms who hit people with clubs and wear masks. You're lucky we're nice. You're lucky we're nice. He's counteracting the narrative that everybody, like, gets filled with this rhetoric of violence and then somehow acts on it. He's saying, we have the most violent people, we have the the most violent motherfuckers in the country and nobody's acting on it. Because we're so nice. And they're lucky we're so nice because if we weren't, oh boy. If we weren't as nice as we are, then it would be a very different story indeed. And now the, the corporate media is obviously not going to portray it that way, but I'm here to tell you that that is the underlying subconscious messaging that's happening here in this speech. That is the subtext. That is the undertone. It's not racial. It's not Nazi. It's a projection of strength and control. Projection of control. We've got the military. We've got the bikers. We have the most violent people in the country. And still, you're very lucky. <laughs> you're very lucky you get away with what you do with your skinny little arms and your weak little face. Hitting people with clubs. is it adorable? Isn't it just adorable, right? That's what he's doing. All right. This will be fun. Got another one. I've got so much to get through. You're going to have to bear with me. With racist ad, Trump sinks to a new low. This is the Washington Post. I'm a subscriber of the Washington Post, by the way. If for some reason you've been wondering whether President Trump would sink even lower into racist provocation with the midterm election only a few days away, here's your answer. I like how the Washington Post is saying it's wrong. They put it on their website. It's got 4 million views. Isn't that lovely? Ladies and gentlemen, I would directly step out of the hallway. If it's dead, you know if I can break up soon? No, kill more. See, the only thing that I can break is if I can just kill two. I wish I could kill more of those motherfuckers. He says he wants to apply for pardon for the felony he committed. Attempt of murder.
a brilliant commercial. That is one of the best campaign ads I've ever fucking seen. People say, oh, it's unethical, it's wrong, it's racist. These people are the, the, the exact same kind of people who would use the exact same kind of tactics in reverse. So those, those kinds of accusations, they're like water off a duck's back to me. I'm like, well, you know, you've been playing the optics game for, what, 25, 30 years now successfully? And now, you know, the other team has watched you, studied you, learned what you do. And now they're now they're doing it at a higher level than you are, and you're like, okay, we can't play that game anymore. So, well, it's too bad. And so, well, sorry, sorry. He's like, okay, well, sorry. Like, I, I'm not the one making the ad. I don't make the rules. The problem, the problem is, if if we're now living in a world of that's based on perception, and perception is reality, and subjective opinion is put forward as absolute truth. Because there is no absolute truth. So the only absolute truth we can have is subjective opinion, right? That's the world that's been created for us over the last four or five decades. Now we're living in that environment. And now that the people who have created this environment for their own cultural, ideological reasons in, in their pursuit of political power have discovered that other people can operate in that space and play the same game and do it at a high level, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can't play that game. Well, it's too bad. It's too late. It's not my call. I wish it wasn't that way, but unfortunately it is. The, ad's, the ad is absolutely brilliant. That, that's a study in association memeing. Because it's not about... Um, he's not saying that all Hondurans are murderers. He's saying, how can you know the difference? Like, if people are just marching over the border, how do you know? And and that something like something as basic and simple as that it cuts through all of the shit, because that's that's the kind of way that people in middle America or middle class households around the Western world that's the way they talk, that's what they discuss. Sorry, how can how can we know? We can't let everybody in because how do we know? And if the other side then resorts to calling you a Nazi because of that question, well then you win, you you win the game. He knows that, and everyone else knows it too, except the people that are against him, which seem, it's incredible to me that they haven't picked up. They haven't picked up on how to do it yet. Let's carry on. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. As the biggest terror threat in this country (laughs) is white men, most of them radicalized to the right, and we have to start doing something about them. Oh, it's so good has delivered on the things that they care about most. He has delivered racism for these people. He has delivered misogyny for these people. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. The young people in this country are not with this sort of evil, nasty authoritarianism. Republicans have to call this out because their souls are on the line. So he heads a giant cult. He also heads a party that knows very well that he's a giant cult. His erratic behavior, his ignorance could pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. The president's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up <laughs> nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. You idiots. Group of <laughs> who perverted our democracy 
and really are doing what they can to ruin our country. This whole caravan wow. in the last week of the election is a giant My God, lie. these people are dumb. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. Yeah. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men, <laughs> and it does, and what Trump has tapped into is evil. We're going to see if this rain lasts for 30 days Woo! or two years. Or a thousand-year Reich. A thousand-year Reich. The power that people give him is turns it to evil. Here we are after the carnage, and this man, this moral monster, is playing to those base instincts. It's not even a question of whether it's presidential behavior or not. It's not minimally. Look at the rage, ladies and gentlemen. No Look at the rage. Prevail because he's evil. He's dark. It's the opposite of what oh, America evil. stands for. He's this dark. has now become a struggle about good versus evil. Yeah. And the president of the United States is evil. Grabian, the multimedia marketplace. Just, you have to take a, a minute to just accept the outrage. Uh, I did a podcast a couple of days yesterday, Embrace the Chaos. You can't get angry at these people. Don't don't waste your time. Don't waste your time trying to refute this stuff. Just you, you have to let it happen, let it flow, accelerate it. If if you want to get on, t- if you want to get on international TV in the age of YouTube and social media, and say that Donald Trump is is creating an environment that is no different to 1938 Nazi Germany, good luck to you. I, I want you on TV. I want everybody to see you. Like you, you know. You want to be famous? I want you to be famous too. I want you to be the most famous person in television history. Perhaps not for the reasons that you want to be famous, but I definitely want you to be famous. I want to hold you up as an example for liberal arts colleges for 50 years to come. Say, okay, this is the do not do of live television. Because this is they're definitely going to be saying that in 10 years. In 10 years' time, all of these clips are going to be held up in liberal arts colleges and people are going to be saying, okay, this is how you ruin your career. And so I want to accelerate that. I can't wait to accelerate that. Let's go to something else. Something a little different. Human teeth found in, hidden inside wall of former dentist's building. At least a thousand human teeth have been discovered inside a wall of a building that used to house dentist's offices. Wow. <laughs> Did you guys hear about this? U.S. construction workers renovating an older building in Valdosta, Georgia, Georgia, braced themselves. I love that. Braced themselves last week. See, little, it's, it's the little touches that make all the difference, don't you think? They brace themselves. I'm like, oh, bravo. Bravo. Well done. You stuck a gag in. <laughs> if you could sneak a gag in, you're a friend of mine. Brace themselves last week after cracking open nah, a wall to discover an estimated 1,000 human teeth inside. The workers who are renovating the Converse building in the city's downtown area found the teeth after knocking out a wall on the building's second floor. Donald Davis, the executive director of Lowndes County Historical Society and Museum, told Fox News, while it's unclear why the teeth were inside the wall, I would thought that's a pretty obvious thing to say. (laughs) It's unclear why the teeth were inside the wall. Well, that's pretty much what happens when you tear down a wall and find a thousand teeth inside the wall. 
It's definitely not something that's been common at any time that I can think of. Yeah, you know, where where should I put this dock? Yeah, just whack it in the hole in the wall. It'll be fine. They'll find them all in 50 years. Who cares? Don't worry about it. Did they use a water pick to crack it open since soaked? <laughs> Tooth fairy is going to go broke. <laughs> yes, they extracted the teeth from the wall. Well done, Kimmy. While it's unclear why the teeth were inside the wall, Harry Evans, a researcher for the Lowndes County Historical Society Museum, told the Valdosta Daily Times the building was once occupied by a dentist named Clarence Whittington in 1900. Look at this pile of teeth, man. Wow. Hang on. There you go. Now you can see it. The building was then occupied by a different dentist, Dr. Lester J. Yeomans. Lester Yeomans. That sounds like that's like, like it sounds like an evil name to me. Well, hello, Dr. Lester. Dr. Lester. Yes. Hello, my name is Dr. Lester Yeomans. I will be extracting your teeth today. I don't know about this. You could you'll be fine. Let me give you the gas. I'm not going to put you up against the wall, trust me. <laughs> Until at least 1930, the newspaper reported, citing a A192A receipt for a tooth extractin, uh, extraction as proof. We're trying to put puzzle pieces together. So what we're thinking is that the dentist was, was the above dentist, Dr. Yeomans, that we have the receipt from. We can't find any direct family for Yeomans, so we can't find out exactly what happened. There you go. Mystery, a mystery pile of tooth inside the wall of an old building. I just thought that was interesting. Don't get me wrong. Here's another one that was fun. It's a bombshell. In on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. The beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. There's a beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. It reminds me a lot of the last days of Nixon. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning. Beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very dramatic day, and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? This is unbelievable. This is remarkable. Have you ever seen anything like this? Yes. I've said before, if you if you don't think these people sing from the same hymn sheet, then you're very much mistaken. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a concerted effort on all parties to like push a certain line, but they they definitely all think the same way. Right. If you go to liberal arts college and you study communications or journalism, the the pick of the class get picked up by PR companies and corporations to write press releases to give to these people who are like the bottom end of those graduate degrees. And these people just rewrite the press releases. This is the state of journalism in the modern age, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't so. Once upon a time to be a journalist or to be a reporter or to give opinions on cable news, it was like a, that was a that was a position that was held with high regard. Unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. The pick of the bunch go into PR or politics or just go direct into private industry. And what gets left over is the dregs of the liberal arts courses. They, you know, they get a job in a newsroom for a couple of years. Next thing you know, they're on the scene reporting. 
tell, they're just reading what they've given, what they've been given to read. Next thing you know, they get a studio job. Next thing you know, they're up here saying that it's the absolute end because they've got no idea what they're talking about, unfortunately. Presidency is crippled. December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. We begin with the bombshell. The beginning of the end. 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 In fact, if this were a football game, we're in the third quarter. May even be the beginning of the end. We begin tonight the CIA. with the bombshell. Thanks for joining us, a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. I do not think the president will serve out his term. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president oh, is going to serve Avenatti. out his term. Mr. Trump will... Avenatti, how the mighty fall. Oh, my. What, is he about to be indicted for the credible accusations by Julie Swetnick? Yeah, ain't that the darndest thing? Ain't that the darndest thing? Nobody predicted that. Nobody predicted that eventually Michael Avenatti's false claims on all of the corporate media stations would eventually catch up with him. No, no, nobody was saying that <laughs> six months ago. I was saying that. <laughs> not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way, no how. Breaking news, absolute bombshell. I think Donald Trump is in Thanks, trouble. Thanks, Icon. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles heel. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. What a historic day. The bombshells, uh, they fell. It's entropy. Okay. I need to play uh, one of them one more time before we go to our next piece. I've got another article here for you, but I'm just going to play this one more time to prep what we're talking about here, okay? So listen carefully, and then we'll do our next piece, and it'll all make sense. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. As the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. Trump has delivered on the things that they care about most. He has delivered racism for these people. He has delivered misogyny for these people. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. Look, the young people in this country are not with this sort of evil, nasty authoritarianism. Republicans have to call this out because their souls are on the line. Yeah. So he has a giant cult. He also heads a party that knows very well that he's a giant cult. Of his erratic behavior, his ignorance could pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. The president's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. This radical group of right-wingers who perverted our democracy and really are doing what they can to ruin our country. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant lie. This is Trump's right <laughs> fire. Yeah. Look, he- the imaginary caravan. All right, that'll do. Check this out. Samantha B. 
The Republican Party tolerates anti-Semitism and benefits from it. Yep, because who who would have thunk it? Anti-Semitism is apparently now one of the most productive, fertile grounds for political populism in you know liberal democracies. That we apparently apparently if you're an anti-Semite now, now you're just guaranteed office. <laughs> <laughs> These people are fucking insane. The Republican Party tolerates anti-Semitism and benefits from it. Anti-Semitic violence and vandalism have surged since Trump's election, and they are not coming out of nowhere. In light of the massacre in a Pittsburgh synagogue on Saturday, Samantha B called out... <laughs> Sorry. I know what's coming, so I'm laughing already. I shouldn't do that. I should be more professional. Samantha B called out President Donald Trump and his Republican Party for using racist dog whistles. There's the dog whistle again. The all-famous dog whistle that apparently only a certain subsection of society can hear at any given time and the people who declare it to be a dog whistle. My suggestion is if you hear a racist dog whistle, doesn't that mean you're a racist? Like if I don't if I don't hear racism, if I don't hear anti-Semitic speech, so obviously the dog whistle isn't working on me, like because I should hear racism, like I should be inspired to commit anti-Semitic or racist acts of violence or something. I, I think that's how it works. If you hear the dog whistles, like, whoosh, and you sit, you know, or whoosh, and you and you go run out, run out the back and take a shit, whatever, whatever the dog whistle, whatever your whatever your dog is trained to do when they hear the dog whistle. I, I am obviously not trained to that sound. So I don't hear the dog whistle, but Samantha B does. So I can only conclude that Samantha B is indeed attuned to anti-Semitic speech because she hears the dog whistle where I don't. I mean, is that wrong? I don't know. <laughs> Trump and many other Republicans reacted to the let's let's just watch. I haven't I haven't watched this clip. I don't know what it's going to be. I know it's going to be bad, but I don't know if it's how bad. I mean, I'm Samantha B. It's my favorite holiday, midterm election Eve. Eve I mean, Eve, Eve, are we going to be making jokes about a synagogue shooting and then accusing other people of being inconsiderate and heartless? That would be a very bad strategic step for Samantha B to make. You're all going to vote. You are all going to vote. This week has been one of the worst things I've ever seen, and that includes all these pictures of Chris Hardwick posing weird with his. See, Sam's not stupid. Sam says, what does Kathy Griffin think about this? That's a celebrity opinion I crave. Like, I know what he's doing. So he's trying to, like, because I don't, I don't care much for celebrity opinions either, but I know that he knows that celebrities like this and Kathy Griffin actually embarrass the Democrats, embarrass the Democrat voters. So they would much prefer that all of the people who are opposed to the Democrats would never bring them up, would never show it, would never laugh at them. Because it's it's embarrassing for them. Like, oh my god, this idiot is out there again. This person represents us. Oh no. And they roll their eyes and go, oh god, not this again. Like the other team's going to have a field day with this. But I understand. It's precisely why I'm doing it. <laughs> That's why I'm doing it. Five, <laughs> so no one notices he's shorter. <laughs> Guess what, buddy? We noticed. Oh, it abuses me. how relieved Chris Hardwick is going to be when he finds out I only joked about his height. It's your lucky day, you tiny creep. I've got other fish to fry. <laughs> In 
In response to the anti-Semitic massacre in a Pittsburgh synagogue on Saturday, the White House was quick Give to announce the hateful attacks on the true Not you, Sam. Samantha B. president. The very first thing that the media did was condemn the president and go after and try to place blame, not just on the president, but everybody that works in this administration. And if anything, I think it is sad uh, and divisive the way that every single thing that comes out of the media, 90% of what comes out of the media's mouth is negative about this president. Just... Can you imagine how bad Samantha B's writers must be to actually think to put that to put that moment in there from Sarah Huckabee Sanders that impassioned plea would actually be of a net benefit to their audience. Can you imagine how detached you must be from your viewing audience to think that that is a successful like comedy move? Really? Really? You gotta wonder. Look, watch again. Let's let's make fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Okay. The anti-Semitic massacre in a Pittsburgh synagogue on Saturday. The White House was quick to denounce the hateful attacks on the true victim, our president. The very first thing that the media did was condemn the president and go after and try to place blame not just on the president but everybody that works in this administration. So it's like, oh, you're playing the victim, whilst at the same time. She is actually blaming Donald Trump for the massacre. You blame Donald Trump. It's like blame the victim. This is like psychology 101. Mainstream conservatives would never say anything negative about Jewish people outright, the late night host continued, but there are other words they use. Here's here's the dog whistles for you. Are you ready for the other words? All of these terms are now anti-Semitic, according to Samantha B. There's Sam. She's gorgeous, I think. I think she's very talented. These are now anti-Semitic terms. Just so you can put them in your diary, so you know never to use these terms again. Pardon me. Coastal elites is now an anti-Semitic term, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know that? (laughs) Coastal elites. That's a dog whistle to anti-Semitism. Globalists. Oh, well, we've known about that one for a while. That's that's obviously anti-Semitic. Hollywood liberals. Hollywood liberals is now an anti-Semitic term, believe it or not. That's a dog whistle to anti-Semitism. Hollywood liberals, coastal elites, yes. Currently, B added, the biggest, loudest dog whistle is George Soros. She hears a lot of dog whistles. I'm not going to say that Samantha B is a dog. That would be unfair. But she does hear a lot of dog whistles. Maybe she is the next incarnation of Dr. Doolittle. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, run and scream and squawk with the animals, then I would Samantha B. Currently, be added, the biggest, loudest dog whistle is George Soros, the billionaire philanthropist and Holocaust survivor and full frontal played a clip after clip after clip of Soros's name being dropped on Fox News in connection to liberal conspiracy theories. She doesn't actually say what those conspiracy theories are, but that's okay. Soros is best known for starting a foundation called Open Society. However, in right-wing circles, B pointed out, he is regarded as a uh, demonic Nazi commie supervillain who controls, well, everything. 
She added, This sleepy old zaddy is not a puppet master. He may be wealthy and influential, but he does not control the government. But the idea of Jews as wealthy, scheming world dominators goes way way back. So any any criticism of George Soros and his investments in left-wing politics is now considered to be anti-Semitism. <clears throat> I find this amusing on two fronts. Uh, the first front is I, I, I laugh with glee that people on the left, you know, the people that hate capitalism are now rushing to the defense of someone who is a billionaire hedge fund manager who shorts currencies. He is literally the capitalist's capitalist. There has never been, there has never been a more famous capitalist than George Soros. And, and now all of a sudden, all the people on the left are like, oh, we love him. <laughs> we love capitalism now. Isn't that the darndest thing? <laughs> Rushing to the defense of billionaire hedge fund managers who sink, who sink foreign economies for their own profit. It's like, oh, bravo. Bravo. I never saw that coming, lefties. Well done. Well done. You got me there. You got me there. Who would have thunk it? The Australian is a mainstream newspaper in Australia. Centre-right, establishment-right. Definitely not a conspiracy theory website. They're actually very anti-Donald Trump. You'll be pleased to know. Dumb files show influence of George Soros on Western politics. This is from August 2016. In perhaps the biggest political scandal since WikiLeaks, a group of hackers has dumped hundreds of files exposing the influence of socialist billionaire George Soros on Western politics. The files show Soros has established a transnational, uh, transnational network that pressures governments to adopt high immigration targets and porous border policies that could pose a challenge to legitimate state sovereignty. His open society foundations target individuals who criticise Islamism and seek to influence the outcome of national elections by undermining right-leaning politicians. The Australian arm of the Soros network is GetUp. GetUp was established by activists Jeremy Hymans and David Madden with funding from Soros. The Labor-affiliated construction, forestry, mining, energy union donated $1.1 million to the group. Bill Shorten and John Hewson are former board members. A major funder listed on its 2014-15 Australian Electoral Commission expenditure return is Avaz, the US GetUp affiliate that has received copious amounts of funding from Soros Networks. Like most NGOs, GetUp claims to be independent from political parties, of course. Like many NGOs, however, it has close ties to the left. As Sherry Markson revealed in this paper, GetUp chairwoman Sarah Madison urged people to vote for the Greens in the past federal election. Soros-affiliated organisations follow a well-worn political and rhetorical strategy updated for the uh, digital age. Like the socialists and communists of old, they attack liberal democracy by delegitimising the classically liberal values of individualism, free speech, logical argument, and public reason. They attack democratic states by advocating a porous border policy. That's familiar, isn't it, right now? Reframing illegal immigrants as refugees. Remember, this was two years ago, this article. And degrading critics of totalitarian tendencies such as Islamism in orchestrated campaigns of PC censorship. Documents uncovered by Soros leaks reveal a pattern of funding for programs that prosecute porous borders, mass immigration into the West from nations from Islamist regions and overt campaigns against dissenters. OSF has provided several million to the Centre for American Progress, 
whose programs include the explicit targeting of free thinkers critical of, of Islamism. A recent program grant described a strategy to target six critics of Islamism and, quote, the right-wing media in a, quote, audit of Islamophobic activities. There you go. It's all just a conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's all just a big conspiracy theory. I wanted I wanted to do this. We have to do this. This is this is a we, we talk about politics a lot. We talk about serious discussions. We have serious discussions. We talk about serious topics. But this is something very close to my heart. I haven't watched this clip yet. I want to I wanted to watch it with you. I wanted to watch this clip with you. Because I think this is possibly the most, literally the most important argument going on the face of, well, let's say the Western world, maybe a piece of subcontinent as well. But it's definitely an important argument that's going on right now. And I think it's one that we have to have just for fun. Is Apu racist? Our talking point today, we are discussing whether the Indian Simpsons character Apu is racist. The deba <laughs> debate started after a producer on the show suggested Apu would be written out because some people feel he is a racial stereotype. But now one of the original writers has cast doubt on these. Just, just straight off the bat, unfortunately for this lovely young lady, I'm sure she's lovely, the English accent lends itself to making Apu sound racist because she, because the English way of saying it, like... The Americans would say Apu, and we say Apu, but the English say Apu. Is Apu racist? It's like, what, Apu? Like a poo in a toilet? Oh, the name is racist. No, it's just the way you're saying it, darling. Is Apu racist? It's, it's the English accent. She can't help it. It's not her fault. I'm sure she's lovely. But she sounds like a bigot. Claimed, tweeting that the producer who made the suggestion doesn't speak for the show. Well, for those of you who don't know the character, here's a quick introduction. You're like the guy. You're like a legend around here. James Woods, <laughs> baby. James Woods. You once worked 96 hours straight. Oh, yes. It was horrible, I tell you. By the end, I thought I was a hummingbird of some kind. Oh, yeah. You know, I studied your old security <laughs> tape. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. That is a poo. This morning, we're asking, is that character that you saw there on your screen racist? Joining me, Ash Sarkar, senior editor at Navara Media, and Manik Govinda, who is a writer and arts mentor and who has his Free the Springfield One T-shirt on in support of a poo this morning. Um, I was going to say, I, I wish I had said it, but I was going to say, I bet the chick is against it. <laughs> Just a guess. Just a guess. <laughs> It's interesting, Ash. Uh, Apu has been part of The Simpsons since it started back in 1990. Is the character racist? So I'm not one of those people that thinks that if you're South Asian and you like The Simpsons that you must hate yourself on some level because it's so racist because of the character of Apu. Whoa, 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 whoa. What I think is that comedy <laughs> has changed a lot in the interview. Can, can anyone explain to me? Can anyone explain to me, please? If you can explain to, if you can explain this to me, I would be a very happy man. I, I will, I will, I will die a happy man. Why is it when you ask an SJW a very straight question, "Is this racist?" They then need to trail off and tell you their fucking life story. What the fuck is that? Can anybody tell me? 
Young lady, is Apu racist? Well, let me just start by saying I'm not one of those South Asian people that thinks that if they watch The Simpsons, they hate themselves. Whoa, whoa, cut, cut, cut. I was asking, is Apu racist? I wasn't asking if you hate yourself. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, that's when the director should come in. That's when the director should walk onto the set and go, whoa, can we just stick to the material? If you want to write a memoir, do it in your own time. Like, well, I'm glad everybody, everybody's glad you don't hate yourself. We're pretty sure you don't hate yourself because you're on television. Anybody who hates themselves doesn't go on fucking television, generally speaking. Oh, I hate myself so much. I'm so ashamed of myself. Would you like to come on television and talk about it? Oh, yes, please. Uh, Is my makeup good? Do you like my makeup? Do I look hot? What should I talk about? I'll talk about how I don't hate myself. Bravo. Right? (laughs) Just answer the question. Is it racist or not? But you can't answer because this is, see, here's the thing. This is important. This this is this is identity politics. You know, people like Lucifer Sam and others are like, why why do you want Donald Trump to win? Like, why did you want Donald Trump to win? And I'm like, because political correctness has to die. Political correctness and identity politics it has to go away. Like, if we if we're going to progress together as a as a as a as a humanity as a species as a race as a planet. PC and identity politics has to die a horrible public death. Like, and it has to be so embarrassing for people that have these ideas of identity politics and political correctness. It has to be so brutal. The end of their ideology it has to be so bad that nobody ever dares do it again. Like burning, like I'm not a fan of book burning, but if we could, if we could put all of the identity politics literature and PC literature into a big pile and set it on fire, I will bring the petrol. I will bring the cans of fuel to throw on that bastard. Trust me. And you'd be surprised how much, how much friction in today's society would like dissipate in an instant, as long as we could just get over this shit that is completely non-existent like it's a fantasy it's 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 like a sick nightmare that people project into the real world and if we could just get past that who's telling what we could do together been in nearly 30 years so while in 1990 when there's a dearth of South Asian comedy writers or actors. You know, this idea of Hank Azaria, a white guy, giving the voice to Apu, yeah, it's kind of funny, but nearly 30 years later, the writing feels a bit lazy, a bit stereotyped, and it has had some (laughs) negative real-world effects on South Asian people. So there have been many times where I've left the pub or... So, okay. So she's not actually doing this for, like, some kind of political reason. She's not saying that it's racist. She's just offering a critique on the writing of The Simpsons. Well, I'm like, bravo. Well, okay, we can all be we can all be comedy critics. I don't have a problem with that. I haven't watched The Simpsons in about ten years because I too think the writing has become stale, and I think that they rely too much on celebrities coming in and doing guest spots, and like all of the best all of the best stories have already been told. You know, like we can't do another best story anymore. <clears throat> In the UK, of course, in the UK. Where else did you think? 
So, you know, she's, but she's being a critic, like, oh, the writing's, like, I'm not, I'm, I don't hate myself, but what I'm saying is, once upon a time, Apu, the voice of Apu was done by a white guy, and it was kind of funny. See, this is the other thing, too, that apparently the, um, the principles of voice acting are now out the window. Maybe we'll bring up Mal Blanc. Mel Blanc, the, the, the greatest voice actor of all time. Of all time. He did all of the characters in the old cartoons. The, you know, the Looney Tunes cartoons? He did all of them. He did the Mexican mouse. He did the French skunk. He did the American redneck. He did them all. She's like, oh, a white guy doing an Indian voice. I'm like, yes, that proves that the white guy is pretty good at what he does. That's the, that's the whole thing about being an actor. You know how these people come out and say, well, you can't have a non-gay person act gay in a movie anymore because that's like you're stereotyping, that's appropriation. I'm like, no, no, no. If you're a good actor, the whole point of being a really good actor is being able to play a role that you are not. Like, that's, that's what we understand good acting to be. Like, the day that, uh, like, just say somebody gets cast in a movie as a gay mechanic and they actually have a gay mechanic play the role, if that guy wins an Oscar, I'm going to be like, this is a fucking fraud. Like, hire me. Okay, so just say somebody does a movie about uh, an Australian, a no-name Australian garbage man who does podcasts. And I play a no-name Australian garbage man who does podcasts, and I win Best Actor. That's not an achievement. <laughs> that's not. That's not good. Like how how am I achieving anything there? Oh, what? So you're playing the exact thing that you actually are every single day? Bravo! Like, oh my god, I'm in, I'm fucking inspired here. I'm inspired over here. Give that guy an award, please. That's not how it works. If if you know if I get an Oscar for playing a trans a transsexual Asian woman in a wheelchair who wins the hundred meter sprint on my legs that I've never used before, and I'm convincing enough, then I deserve the Oscar. Like that's a good actor. But if you actually have a, a trans Asian woman in a wheelchair who actually wins the hundred meter sprint who gets the Oscar for just doing what they do every single day, that's not an achievement. That's not acting. That's just being the person. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, there was a white guy doing a, a, the voice of an Indian character. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it very good. Very, very good. Very good. Better than I could do it. You know, back in India, we talk about the white man who does the Indian voices. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot do it as good as the uh, the Indians can do it. But I will try. It, it is not racist. It is an act of love. Love. Very, very good. You know, I've been walking down the street and someone's done the Apu voice just yelling it mm. at me. Um, <laughs> and that's clearly not the writer's intention of The Simpsons. I mean, The Simpsons has... I think enriched all of our lives in some way. It's a it's a cultural institution, and long may it uh, continue to be so. Yeah, not anymore. It's definitely time for a change. Um, Manic, it's do you time think for it a change. A lazy, crude stereotype, or actually, does a poo as a character have more depth 
than that. It's got a lot more depth than that. Um, I yes. Mean, an Indian accent, you know, and so many people, uh, immigrants from India, uh, who work as shopkeepers, who, who uh, opened uh, small businesses, have an Indian accent. So there's oh! nothing. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. I love that this is actually. The best part about this, though, is like it's showing that not all the left are like PC maniacs. That's the best part about this. Not all the left are PC maniacs. I've got a good buddy who would like he doesn't do politics, but by default, he he falls culturally on like the left side of the political ledger because he doesn't do politics. You know, that's everybody's default, right? Like, yeah, you know, like a little more welfare. I don't care. I got a job. I don't matter. You know, a little bit more tax. It doesn't matter. You know, that kind of thing. He's not engaged in politics. But even he, like, political correctness is cancer. It has to die. It has to go away. Even, even the lefties don't like it anymore. Come on. This is like the easiest thing ever. If the Democrat leadership came out today and said, we are doing away with political correctness, that's it. We've had enough political correctness. We are doing, we are done. We are done with identity politics. We are done with political correctness. It is out of there. It is out of there everyone would stand up and fucking clap they'd be like yes yes bravo there wouldn't be any attacks from the other side this is all the other side wants all the other side wants is for you to stop being fucking crazy about everything is it that hard is it that difficult to work out if the Democrats came out tomorrow and said, we're done with identity politics, we're done with political correctness, everyone is going way too crazy, getting offended about shit that they shouldn't be offended by, can't we all just fucking chill out and get along? Every, the whole rest of the population around the Western world, you don't understand, the whole Western world would stand up and fucking cheer. That's how easy it is. It would be over tomorrow. Oh, no, we don't want to offend people. Oh, what about the people? Oh, no. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not one of those people when I watch The Simpsons, I feel like killing myself because I hate myself. But, you know, I just think it's time for a change. No! Nobody can... You're not right if you write your own show. Write your own damn show. You want to write a show where the Indian character doesn't sound like an Indian, doesn't look like an Indian, doesn't own a Quickie Mart, doesn't do anything that's Indian and all? Fucking do it. It's freedom. You are, you are the most free that any person has ever been in human history. You can do it right now. You can start a cartoon right now and play it on, play it on Periscope. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'll share it. I'll share it. Write your cartoon about the Indian that doesn't sound like an Indian and doesn't do Indian things and there isn't a white guy sounding like an Indian and then you fucking hallelujah. Just fucking do it. Why do you have to change what other people are doing? That's the twist. That's the key. That's the insidious nature to all of this. They don't want a better world. They don't want things to be represented in certain ways because they can represent whatever they want, however they want. They have that freedom. That's the trick. It's not about freedom. It's not about representing things in certain ways. What they want to do is stop you from doing what you want. They want to stop you from representing things how you want to represent them. 
They don't have the ability, the creativity, the intelligence, the drive or the tenacity to actually make something of their own lives. So they're all about stomping on other people who do. That's the problem. That's what, that's what it comes down to. Because if, if, if this chick was such a genius when it comes to identity and culture and what's offensive and what isn't, she would already be writing cartoons. She would already be famous. She would have already pitched a show to somebody and they would have said, oh my God, we can't live without this fucking show where the Indians are represented in the way you want them to be represented. Oh my God. How could we not see this? Oh, this is fantastic. But they're not good enough for that. What they have to do is sit on the sidelines and say, nah, I think it's time for a change. You know, once upon a time, it was okay for a white guy to do an Indian voice. But you know what? For me personally, like I'm not someone that hates myself, obviously. I mean, I'm gorgeous. Look at me. But, you know, I don't hate myself. But, you know, I just think it's, I think it's time to move on from this. You know, and I love The Simpsons, but I don't love this. Well, who the fuck are you? Who cares what you think? Get a life. Get a life and stop pretending like you have some kind of authority based on your identity politics checklist to dictate what others do with theirs. Because you don't. You don't. And the sooner this whole insidious, nasty, kind of weird jealousy manifestation that ends up twisting people's brains into a pretzel, the, the minute that goes away, the world will be a better place. Like tomorrow. God bless Donald Trump. <laughs> God bless Donald Trump. Very typical about that. That's, uh, that's reality. Um, I think he's got a lot more depth. Um, what's wonderful about Apu is that he really is a, a kind of blue-collar immigrant American hero, I think. Um, excellent degree, excellent uh, qualifications. Um, he did uh, arrive as an illegal immigrant, but then naturalized to become a, uh, an American citizen. So he holds this uh, uh, dual um, identity of being uh, Indian and American, quintessentially both, and I think you know, um, uh, very much part of the community of... Uh, um... One of my favorite Simpsons episodes is when Apu becomes a citizen. And uh, like there's a big... like. Mayor Quimby's like, blame immigrants. Mayor Quimby's a Democrat, by the way. And they're like, what should we do? Blame immigrants. He's like, okay. And so there's a proposition. I forget the number of the proposition. But Apu sits down for his, like, citizenship test. And the guy's like, okay, so why did the Civil War happen? And Apu's like, well, before the Civil War, there were many pertaining factors, including economy. There was a reason that the uh, the economy of the South needed to thrive, and there were other factors, including increasing federalization from Washington. And he's like, just say slavery. He's like, slavery. And he's like, okay, you're a citizen. <laughs> just say slavery. You're done. Okay, okay. Slavery. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, I've got to take another piss break. When we get back, Don Lemon, how AI can save our humanity. And I've also got an article here from oh, one, of the best, one of the best articles you'll ever see from Slate. And it's entitled, How Disinformation and Conspiracy Culture Are Disenfranchising Young Voters. Wait till you get a load of this. But give me five seconds. I'll be back. Got to take a little, little pee break. Because it's a little hot. And we'll see you soon. Aloha. James R. here. 
When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TAVshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TAVshow.com. Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, StreamMe, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3am Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome back. Holy Nelly, it's hot here. Hope you're having a good time. I certainly am. I think the cocktail of choice tonight is actually increasing my percentage <laughs> of drinks taken where it shouldn't be. But so damn good. I don't know. What should I, what should I be drinking when it's hot? Water? Probably water. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this and then I'll show you this weird article. I want to talk to you about hate. Hate. I want to talk about fear mongering i want to talk about a bl- like the like the president is racist for example would that be fear mongering dodd for those um who don't listen to the podcast i have a, i have two fans on me by the way millie i have two fans on me <laughs> we, we call them groupies no, i'm just joking my biggest fan is not on me right now um, she's pre- she's occupied doing something else. I think she's getting her nails done. I don't know. But my, my biggest fan is definitely not on me right now. So. <clears throat> so we did a podcast about 
the use of the term uh, your opponents are merely using fear and how empty it is. How, how ridiculous it is, right? Because <laughs> what what CNN and people like Don Lemon do on a daily basis is, is st- push nothing but fear onto their audience. Think about it. Everyone's a Nazi. Everyone's a Hitler. They hate you. They hate minorities. It's, it's all fear porn. And someone comes out and says, well, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't let these, maybe we shouldn't let uh, undocumented immigrants into the country. Maybe we should do something about that. Oh, stop using fear. Blatantly <laughs> <laughs> racist appeal by racist. President it's racist Trump and too. his party. And add that the president... Look at the, look at the little tag here. President Trump resorts to stoking immigration fears with six days to go until election. Oh, what a what horrible what a horrible thought, Dodd. <laughs> resorts to <laughs> like he's got nothing else. Like he's got no he's got no credit in the bank. He's got no other ideas. Meanwhile, like let's just come out and call everybody a racist again. <laughs> <laughs> that that'll show them. It'll work this time. Trust me. If we come out this time and call everybody a racist, it's sure to work. Donald Trump is resorting to stoking fears. They couldn't even say Donald Trump is stoking fear. They had to say he's resorting to. Because what do you do when you resort to? It's your last option. Like you have no other play. This is what I, this is what I was talking about. The podcast embrace the chaos. Like it's the subtle manipulations of language. They're quick, and these people are very good at it. But it's all about the imprint. It's 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 all about the impression that you leave. Like if put it this way, you know you you're at a club or something. You're at a you're at a bar or something, and it's the music's playing and it's smoky in there and it's dark. And, you know, everyone's been drinking a little bit. Not enough to be drunk, but just a little bit to be on their way to drunk. And, you know, you you would have a conversation with a girl at the bar. Now, and you walk away. And now you might be the biggest prick on the face of the earth, but she doesn't know that. What you've done is left an impression. Like you were there for two minutes at the bar while you were waiting to be served. You had a little line. You gave her a little joke. She had a laugh. You picked up your drink, all charming-like, and then you strut off. And so you leave an impression on that person. It's not necessarily like like who you are as a person. It's all about the impression that you leave. The, the same kind of thinking applies here. So when he says President Trump resorts to stoking immigration fears, this is just another way of saying President Trump raises immigration concerns. <laughs> right? Like, that, if I'm spinning it in the opposite direction, that's how I would say it. If I'm writing for a right-wing publication, that's... If I'm writing for a left-wing publication, I would say President Trump resorts to stoking immigration fears. If I'm writing for a right-wing publication, I would say Donald Trump raises immigration concerns. See how easy it is? And it's all about the impression that you leave on the audience. The impression is everything when you've only got a couple of minutes in a soundbite to make it. First impressions last, as they say. There's a nice popsicle in the freezer. Keep wizard. <laughs> Let's carry on. Let's carry on with Don. 
Donnie boy. Tweeted today an ad that shows you just how willing he is to use lies and scare tactics to terrify his base with their six days to go. <laughs> the ad beginning with a chilling confession. Are you terrified? Donald Trump supporters in the audience, tell me right now, are you a shaking, huddling mass drooling on yourself? Uh, can you even get up in the morning? Are you just waking up in the middle of night, in the middle of the night, in like a pool of sweat, going, "Oh my fucking god, I'm so scared, I'm terrified, I'm horrified, oh my god, I'm so scared, I'm so full of fear." Donald Trump has filled me so full of fear. He's leaving his base terrified. <laughs> Do you know what I see? I mix I mix with quite a few MAGA people. Do you know do you know what the do you know the impression that's left on me from the MAGA people? They are laughing their asses off at you, Donald. Then they're not terrified in the slightest. They're they're actually they're they're more optimistic than they've ever been. They've never been so optimistic. So much so that people on the other side are saying, hey, you shouldn't be so optimistic. There's lots of shit that's bad. Like, the economy's bad. Donald Trump's lying to you. He's a Nazi. He's a Hitler. You know what they do? They give you the big middle finger and stick their tongue out and go, fuck no. And then they laugh at you. That doesn't sound like a terrified base to me. Like, what an idiot. (laughs) Oh, they're all terrified over there. They're terrified. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, Don Lemon every other night of the week is saying how scary Donald Trump is. Literally. Donald Trump's dangerous. Donald Trump's rhetoric is dangerous. The things Donald Trump says is dangerous. Donald Trump supporters are dangerous. Everything's dangerous. He hates gay people. He hates black people. He's racist. He hates immigrants. He hates everyone. He hates women. He's a sexist. He's a misogynist. He's a homophobe. He's fucking terrifying. But what he's really doing is terrifying his base. (laughs) No, he's not. No, he's not. I mean, it was only, it was only, I think it was, the, it was the last show that we did. We were laughing at uh, Brooke Baldwin, one of my favorites on CNN. She, she was upset that Donald Trump people in the rally were laughing at the things that he says, right? Remember that? Like he was saying something about, uh, I forget, oh, he was talking about Christine Blasey Ford. And she was highlighting the people in the audience and going, oh my God, look at these people laughing. They don't even care. They're not even scared. They're laughing at him. And it's like three weeks later, Don Lemon's like, oh, they're all terrified. (laughs) They're terrified. They're living in fear, the Donald Trump supporters. They're all living in fear. This is why why I explain to you. And it doesn't surprise me one bit, of course, because they only, it's all reaction. They're only reactionary. They they don't plan forward, these people. They're, They're not smart enough. Let's be honest. But this is why I'm saying once you come to the realisation that these kinds of people are merely avatars who assume personas at any particular time, who have a a limitless number of value systems that they can adopt at any particular time in order to just be the opposition, then nothing they do surprises you. And once you figure that out, then it doesn't become about their reaction. You don't have to meet their reaction anymore. You've just got to stay steadfast. That's it. 
as long as you stay steadfast and stay the course, sorry to use, I'm sorry to use like cliche terms. If you stay the course, they're just going to get more crazy because they're going to try and bounce off every possible talking, like every buzz point that they can grab from you. Like, oh, he said it this week. So that means you're crazy. He said this that week. Oh, now you're afraid. He said that that week, and oh, now you're in love with him again. Like, they're just going to do what they do. It doesn't matter. As long as you just keep plowing through the middle, just keep pumping through that wall, <laughs> enjoy the show. Enjoy the ridiculousness. Because it is. It's completely ridiculous. From a brutal criminal, brutal a man criminal. yet identifies as an illegal immigrant. And he is. And he is a really bad guy. Nobody's going to defend this guy. Bad guy. The point is, though, that this brutal criminal is who, is what President Trump wants uh. you to think about when you think about an immigrant. <laughs> Just consider that. President Trump, who's the son of an immigrant himself. Uh. <laughs> Again, I wish Philly was still in here. A legal immigrant that just marches across the border without any kind of vetting is is it's just now it's the exact same as a legal immigrant who comes from Germany with a business background. <laughs> Donald Trump's father was an immigrant. This guy was an immigrant. No one's going to defend this immigrant because he was a multiple murderer, but he wants you to think all of the immigrants are multiple murderers, even his father, who was also an immigrant. No, Donald. No. No, Don. No, Don. Oh, no, no, no. 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 <laughs> That's not the way it works, son. <laughs> the ad was brilliant. The ad is absolutely brilliant. Because it's it's like a forefront, right? So, so what you what you're trying to do is magnify a negative in these ads, but then you're trying to project it onto your opponent. Like this is what all this is like. People, you know, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the Washington Posts that we read the article from before, coming out and saying, "Oh, this ad is terrible. It's racist. It's wrong." They're only saying that because it's effective. If it wasn't effective, they wouldn't care. Like you, know, the reason the reason that nobody uh, cares, the reason I don't get trolls is because nobody cares what I say, <laughs> right? If I was some kind of influencer, if I was effective, then I would have trolls. But I don't have trolls because nobody cares what I think. Because you know, it doesn't matter. Which is cool. I, I don't. I don't care. I'm not going to change. But that's that's the way it works, right? So the reason that they've like now they've all jumped out and said we need to stop this ad this ad is racist they need to brand it they need to frame it they call it frame and own you got to frame it and own it even if it's a negative so they talk about they talk about this a lot in uh politics and and writing for politicians writing for unionists and stuff if a bad thing happens you need to own it so you can frame it the way you want to frame it and Oftentimes, more often than not, framing it means finding a way to blame the other guy for doing it, even if they didn't do it. It doesn't matter. Whether they did do it or didn't do it, that's beside the point. Because remember, truth doesn't matter anymore. It's all about perception. So you're trying to frame like the, the issue, the incident, the action, the manifestation, whatever it is, whatever it is, the words, doesn't matter. You've got to frame it and then own it, and then you can package it and then send it off in the opposite direction. It's like tennis, right? Like, you, you catch the ball that someone hit to you, you grab it, you, you stick a couple of stickers on it, like, you're a racist, you're a Nazi, bang, 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 and you hit it back, and you're like, your turn. 
and then they grab the ball again and they whack a couple more stickers on it and says, uh, you're projecting, you're insane, you're a mob, and then they hit it back. That's the game. But now all of a sudden, this really shows the desperation of the corporate press because like, they're opening the kimono here, but they're doing it in a specific way. They're not doing it in a way to show you a breast and half a vag. They're doing it in a way like just putting their leg out of the kimono and saying, oh, there's more where that came from. You know, they're not showing you a breast. They're showing you a knee down, like opening of the kimono. They're sitting on a lazy boy and they just throw their leg over and then the the kimono slips down the thigh and then you see the bottom half of the leg. But you're not seeing breast at this point. So they're saying, oh, well, this is all a game. This is this is manipulation. This is politics. But they're, they're taking a calculated risk here because they're also exposing to their own audience that, hey, every single attack ad that I've ever seen in politics looks the exact same. But they're saying, this one is wrong. This one is bad. This one is racist. Now, every Democrat watching this can, can call back on, you know, hundreds of political ads that they've seen and they all look the same. But they're taking the risk because they've got no other play. But again, what you know, we were talking about the mirror argument before, the projection thing. The problem is they're doing the mirror argument after the fact. They're saying, oh, Donald Trump's got no other resort except to, you know, he's, he's, his last resort is to put out ads like this, which attacks all immigrants, even though his dad is an immigrant. But in reality, their last resort is to attack the campaign ad as being racist because they don't have any other option. Right? And the Republican, I think the Republican strategists would know this at this point. I think they know that they're looking okay for the midterms, but let's carry on. (laughs) Great music choice for the ad, too. Democrats let him in. Democrats let him stay. And then you show the current one. She says he wants to apply for pardon. Very well done. I wish I had a done. Attempt of murder. Great music choice. Very well done. Very well done. Hmm. <laughs> we don't know where. We don't even know uh. if it's in the United States. <laughs> it's a naked appeal to fear uh. and hate. Fear and hate. It's a naked appeal to fear and hate. <laughs> Give me a break, mate. Come on. Come on. I still love you, Don. I still love you. Millions don't, but I do. Do you hate me? You shouldn't. Even though I am probably the biggest terrorist threat going around right now. I mean, I am a white guy. You know, don't hate me, bro. Don't hate me. I love you. Is what it is. And it is racist. The president has always used fear to his advantage. First, he wanted everyone to be afraid of the caravan. See, this is the other thing. The president has always used fear to his advantage. All politicians throughout human history, Donald Lemon, have used fear to their advantage. 
you don't get a very long career in politics if you don't use fear to your advantage, my friend. Like this, <clears throat> this kind of this pretend act, I just it just I never ceases to amaze me. It amuses me. I laugh. Oh, Donald Trump uses fear. Yeah, who the fuck doesn't? Everybody uses fear. Some what you're you're just upset that he's using fear effectively, and your fear, you know, like like say the fear that if you don't vote for the Democrats that the world is going to melt due to climate change. That's a fear campaign. How about the fear if uh, Brett Kavanaugh gets uh, put on the Supreme Court that women across the United States are now all at danger? Like we're rolling back women's rights if Brett Kavanaugh gets put up there. That's using fear. CNN uses fear. It's all fear. Fear is incredibly effective. Incredibly effective. That doesn't mean it's not legitimate. That's the other thing too. See, they try to say, like, if you're using fear, that it's an illegitimate uh, action. But that's not necessarily true. Fear is a legitimate emotion. Fear keeps people alive. For example, the fear of falling off a bridge keeps you from walking across the edge of a bridge. Fear of getting hit by a truck stops you from running in front of traffic. Fear of being shot makes you not want to go to war. Fear is not an illegitimate thing. Oh, he's using fear. Well, so what? So what? Does that mean does that mean that people don't have a right to be fearful anymore? What, are we living in some kind of drug-induced stupor utopia age where everybody's supposed to walk around with a fake smile on their face regardless of what's happening? Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Are you psychotic? Is that is that the reality that we want? Where nobody's allowed to be fearful of anything? No one's allowed to hate anything? Without fear, without hate, is there any is there any content? Is there any love? How can you love without hate? How can you feel safe without ever feeling fear? I've written about this before. The protection meme. Political speech writing is all about protection. Everything's about protection, 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 protection. And politicians on both sides like to talk about how if you just vote for us, we'll protect you from X. We'll protect you from X. And how are we going to protect you? Well, they protect you by introducing new laws. But <laughs> if you spend like two minutes thinking about it, you, you would understand that laws don't protect you from anything. That's not what laws do. That's not why they're there. If laws protected you from things, then there would be no murder. There would be no drink driving. There would be no armed robbery. There would be no jaywalking. There would be no tax evasion. There would be no anything. Laws don't protect you from shit. But all these politicians like to come out and say, oh, well, if you vote for us, we'll introduce a law and it's going to protect you. No, it won't. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. No, laws don't protect you. Laws don't protect. They prosecute offenders, which is why I'm against hate speech laws. Because the people that propose things like hate speech laws use the guise of protection. They say, oh, we're going to protect people from being offended or marginalised or from feeling some kind of abuse or angst or anxiousness. But the reality is that just because there is a quote-unquote hate speech law doesn't mean they're going to be protected from those feelings. 
just say there's a hate speech law and somebody goes up to them and says some racist shit in their face, have they been protected? Of course not. They're not going to be protected. What the hate speech law does is prosecute offenders. And which offenders get prosecuted? That's the problem. Just remember, laws don't protect you from anything. They prosecute people who break them. And the more laws you have, the more likely you are to be to, to end up being a criminal and not even realising it. Didn't even know it. <laughs> we don't need more laws. We need less offenders. How disinformation and conspiracy culture are disenfranchising young voters. After this, we will get to your stuff that you sent in on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have been going a long time. It's a marathon. It's officially a marathon. I found this particularly interesting, again, just because of the manipulation that's going on here. While there's still time for a surprise, this week's most rage-inducing click will probably be the New York Magazine's roundup of 12 20-somethings offering reasons why they probably aren't going to vote in the 2018 midterms. As Twitter excoriated the group for their laziness and inability to use stamps, and defenders began to emerge, I was dwelling on one detail that cropped up in these youths' explanations. Three of the 12 people interviewed expressed some kind of doubt that they were well-informed enough to vote. I'm like, bravo, bravo. Three of these 12 kids actually said, you know what, I don't know enough about what's going on in politics, so I don't feel right voting. That should be fucking celebrated. Oh, no. Oh, no. Guess again. (laughs) Guess again, dear listener. Not over at Slate. Oh, no. Lovely Previn, thanks for joining us. No, here at Slate, if you feel that you are not informed enough to make an informed decision... You get castigated. You get criticised. You don't need to be informed to vote. Just fucking vote, you Democrat. (laughs) Seriously. This self-doubt is an unheralded side effect of our burgeoning conspiracy culture. There you go. (laughs) Fake news is making young people feel like they aren't informed enough. Therefore, we need to ban fake news. Right, It's an alternate universe. In a 2014 report called The Menace of Unreality, Peter Pomerantsev and Michael Weiss wrote that the intent of Putin-era Russia's disinformation efforts, which they trace back to Lenin, is not to persuade but to sow confusion. These young American non-voters don't seem to actively believe in the kinds of conspiracy theories that brought us Pizzagate and Pittsburgh, but their knowledge of the very existence of such disinformation apparently has them muddled enough that they now don't trust themselves to vote. Wow. Because the kids, because these poor fucking kids have heard of Pizzagate and heard of Pittsburgh, even the author says in their writing, Rebecca Onion, I can't believe her last name's Onion. This might be satire. I'm not sure. I don't think it is. Rebecca Onion, unfortunately. Because these kids have heard of Pizzagate and heard of Pittsburgh, then this is obviously the reason, because they've heard of it. 
Do you, do you believe what you're hearing here? Because they've heard of these things, this is the reason that they feel that they don't know enough about politics to actually vote. The inference here is that the inference being made here is you just need to vote and vote Democrat. See the the line in here about Russia, Russia's dis- disinformation efforts? Three of the 12 people interviewed expressed some kind of doubt that they were well-informed enough to vote. Quote, I plan to vote in 2020, said Laura, the 21-year-old whose parents didn't tell her their party allegiances until the 2016 election, who ended up Googling Republican versus Democrat at the age of 21. At the age of 21. She Googled Republican versus Democrat to find out what, what each group believed. And then it's in brackets here. A true life Halloween horror story for teachers everywhere. And I thought, well, of course it's a Halloween story for teachers because they just assume that all of the students are going to be voting Democrat. Quote, I have a goal set to know more about politics by that time. That actually sounds, that she actually sounds like one of the people that I want to be voting in 2020. She's like, you know what? I don't know enough about politics. I had to Google Republican versus Democrat. It was it, she. She actually has the uh, would you say the the maturity to to look within herself and say, I can't possibly. I don't know enough about politics, so it is irresponsible for me to vote. That should be fucking applauded. What kind of 21-year-old kid that doesn't know anything about politics actually has the, like, the, the confidence to say, I don't know enough about politics, therefore I'm not going to vote on it? Like, wow. She'll end, she'll end up running a company someday. And Slate will be saying, you should have voted in the 2018 midterms because that Nazi racist Hitler bigot just took over. Fuck you, dumb kids. Hey, kids, shut up and vote. (laughs) It's incredible. It's amazing. When I realised I had to Google Republican versus Democrat to find out about politics, I realised that I'm not informed enough to make an informed decision, so I decided not to vote. And the people over at Slate go, Boo! Boo! Oh, this is probably because you've heard of something called Pizzagate, isn't it? Yes. And you know the Russians? The Russians had a disinformation campaign. They were sowing chaos. Chaos and confusion and Pizzagate and Pittsburgh. This conspiracy culture is what's causing you not to vote, isn't it? Isn't it? Admit it! Admit it! Well, no, it's it's really just because I I really didn't know the difference and I didn't wanna I didn't wanna vote because like I didn't know who stood for what, and I'd like to learn more by 2020, and I'll vote in 2020 after I do a little bit of research. No, no, it's because of disinformation and deception. It's because of a misinformation campaign run by the Russians, which is bought from Lenin's philosophy, isn't it? Admit it, admit it. It's a conspiracy culture, isn't it? You silly woman, you silly woman. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. Wow. How awful. Imagine that pressure being a young person today. You're not even allowed to not vote anymore. 
If you don't vote, you if you if you don't vote. So if you vote for the Republicans, it's because of Russian propaganda. If you don't vote at all because you feel like you're not confident enough and you don't know enough about what's going on in politics to actually make an informed decision, that's also because of Russian propaganda. Like, got to hand it to the Russians. The Russians, well done, ladies and gentlemen. Can we have a round of applause for the Russians? They've managed to sink the Soviet Union. They've managed to go broke. They're run by oligarchs. They're killing journalists. They're doing all kinds of shit. Russian hookers are being shipped out around the world to be fucked by rich Saudi Arabians. But at the same time, while they're doing all of this, while their military crumble, while they, while they are, while they're doing all of this stuff, while they've made all of these fantastic decisions over the last hundred years, they've managed to come up with a misinformation campaign so sophisticated and so state-of-the-art that they can actually convince people who aren't sure enough about whether they want to vote Democrat or Republican that they don't want to vote at all because they would feel like they're not making an informed decision. That's also because of them. The Russians, ladies and gentlemen, the Russians electing Donald Trump and making young people not vote. Bravo. Bravo. Huge. Huge. Yeah, Jim Acosta. I brought up Jim Acosta. I have to bring up Jim Acosta. I've got to show you this. A Trump source was pretty candid about the new web ad not linked here because it's offensive. This guy's a reporter. So now Jim Acosta, the the quote unquote reporter, he's a reporter now quote-unquote reporter. He's not linking the ad here because he says it's offensive. I, I, hang on, I thought your job was to report things. Jim Acosta says we just report a fact. <laughs> Jim Acosta, I don't, I've lost count of the amount of times he says, I just report the facts. Here he is saying, I'm not, I'm not sharing a link because I think it's offensive. Oh, okay, okay. I thought, that, I thought you were just reporting facts, not the facts that you find offensive, apparently. Now, then now we can cement that. Now we can put that in writing. Jim Acosta, reporting facts. Unless he finds them offensive. Then he doesn't report them at all. (laughs) Saying it's their way to change argument from family reunification to, quote, invasion, and he puts in brackets, which it's not. I guess that's not up for debate either. So he's talking about the ad, which he refuses to link because it's offensive, and then he tells you what the ad does. <laughs> and he tells you what the ad says. <laughs> I, I'm tweeting about an ad, which I can't show you because it's offensive, but I will tell you about. Yes, just a coincidence. They want to talk about immigration, not healthcare, source admits. This is a mirror argument. I tweeted this out earlier today. It's just done after the fact. We know the New York Times was reporting on it a month ago. Democrats do not want to talk about immigration, which which makes the caravan all the more ridiculous. Like why the hell why the hell would you be using this in the press, the caravan? All it's doing is helping the Republicans. What are you dumb? What are you stupid? Were you gonna try and call everyone a Nazi again? Like, yeah, it's gonna work this time. Good luck. Good luck, Don. Yeah, it's all right. I know, everything's racist. I know, I know. It's fine. <laughs> Good luck. But we know. Democrat strategists, it was reported in the New York Times about a month ago, Democrat strategists are begging Democrat politicians to not talk about immigration. Talk about health care, they said. Talk about taxes, they said. Do not talk about immigration. Crap? I'll send you the link, brother. Lucifer Sam saying, oh, that's crap. No, it's not crap. I'll send you the link. I read it. I read it on air. New York Times. Democrat strategists. 
do not want to talk about immigration because they're getting hammered because blue uh, senators in red states cannot win the immigration debate, my friend. They cannot win the immigration debate. So they would rather not have it. And then I watched hour after hour after hour after hour in the corporate in corporate media, cable news shows, all of the pundits, all of the reporters coming out going, lamenting the fact that the Republicans aren't talking about health care. What, what do you know? What are the odds? What are the odds of that happening, huh? Well, the Republicans seem to be talking about immigration a lot. They're trying to make the the election about immigration when they should be talking about health care. Oh, it's just a big coincidence. <laughs> what do you think? Everyone's an idiot. <laughs> Democrat strategists get leaked. Leaked report in the New York Times says Democrat strategists want to talk about health care and not immigration. Next thing you know, the next week and a half, all of the pundits on the corporate media are saying, why aren't the, Demo- why aren't the Republicans talking about health care and not immigration? <laughs> And here's Jim Acosta. They want to talk about immigration, not healthcare, Source admits. <laughs> Jim Jim's like a week and a half late to the party after that started a week and a half ago. It's incredible. <laughs> If, I, if I'm the source that he's talking to in the Republican Party, I would say, yeah, we don't want to talk about healthcare. We want to talk about immigration. What he doesn't tell you there is the reason they want to talk about immigration is because Democrats are getting absolutely fucking slaughtered when they talk about it. <laughs> of course the Republicans want to talk about immigration. You know why? Because it makes the Democrats look like fucking lunatics. That's why. That's why. Open borders and abolish ICE and oh, you can't call you, you, know, you can't say bad things. It makes them look ridiculous. That's why the Democrats don't want to talk about immigration because it's a conversation they can't possibly win. Because the overwhelming majority of Americans believe in immigration reform. Now, what immigration reform means, I guess we can get wonky about it, but you know, it's not really about details. You understand that too, Sam. Sam knows it's not really about details. It's all about the image. It's all about perception. So all we need to do is sell the perception that one side is for immigration reform, et al., and the other side is not. One side is for law enforcement on the border and the other side is not. Of course the Democrats don't want to talk about immigration. What, are you kidding me? They're getting smashed. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I wouldn't want to be a Democrat politician in a red state right now being asked about immigration during a debate. What, are you kidding me? God, what am I going to say? You can say you're leaders. You can't say you support the leadership of the party because the leadership of the, of the party is batshit crazy. So what you're trying to do throughout your whole campaign as a, as a blue senator in a red state is trying to distance yourself from Washington as much as possible. That's what Joe Manchin did by backing Brett Kavanaugh. He was trying to say to the voters of West Virginia, "Hey, I'm separate. I'm separate from the leadership of the party. Don't worry about. The le- I'm my, I'm my own man. I'm for you. I do what you want me to do." The leadership of the Democrat Party is absolutely toxic in the red states. You know it. You know it's true. So you can't back the leadership of the party stances on immigration because you got Nancy Pelosi getting memed the fuck. Nancy Pelosi's meme is going around on the internet when she's like, oh, you can't call MS-13 animals. 
average normal people, even in Democrat states, are turning around going, is she serious? Did she really say that? What, are you kidding? Why the hell Why the hell would you want an immigration debate if you're a Democrat? Does it make any sense whatsoever? All right. One, maybe one more little quick little video. I'll just play a couple. I'll just play like the first five minutes of it. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Chinese scientists talking about AI and entrepreneurship and adaptation. And then we'll get to your stuff. Then we'll wrap it up. We've been going way too long. Oh, this again. Arid guy. Good to see you again. This is this is this is a this is a full brain fuck. I'm going to talk about how AI and mankind can coexist. But first, coexist. we have to rethink about our human values. So let me first make a confession <laughs> about my errors in my values. He starts off the right way, doesn't he? I'm here to tell you how AI and humankind can coexist. But first, we have to think about human values. Oh, okay. So we have to change to bring in the robots, right? Right. We we have to change our value system in order to adapt to AI. It's not the other way around. Have you noticed that very subtle manipulation straight off the bat? It's up to us to change to accommodate the robots. Like, shouldn't it be that AI should suit us? Like, we are creating it, aren't we? Like, we are we are the ones who are, are we in control of this, or is it, it, it is it in control of us? It's okay, humans. Don't 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 be don't be worried. Don't be worried about this, humans. AI and humanity can coexist. All you need to do is change your values a little bit. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. <laughs> now, next comes the sob story. It was eleven o'clock, December sixteenth, nineteen ninety-one. I was about to become a father for the first time. My wife, Shenling, lay in the hospital bed, going through a very difficult 12-hour labor. I sat by her bedside, but looked anxiously at my watch, and I knew something that she did The reason for uh, introducing this story is there is nothing more human than childbirth. Right? There's nothing more humanizing than the birth of a child. The story. If you're about to give a lecture on why AI is going to take over our lives and why humans need to adapt in order to bring AI into humanity, then what you want to do is open up with a story proving how pro-human you are, right? I knew that if in one hour our child didn't come, I was going to leave her there and go back to work and make a presentation about AI to my boss, Apple CEO. Fortunately, my daughter was born at 11.30, (laughs) sparing me from doing the unthinkable. And to this date, I am so sorry for letting my work ethic take precedence over love Uh, for my family. Bravo. Bravo. They all clap. My AI talk, however, went off brilliantly. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't he charming? Apple loved my work and decided to announce it at TED 1992, 26 years ago on this very stage. I thought I had made one of the biggest, most important discoveries in AI, and so did the Wall Street Journal on the following day. But- Notice the outfit he's wearing too? This isn't by accident. I mean, he could be wearing a Hawaiian shirt, right? He could wear whatever he wants. He's this big AI genius. No, he's wearing this, he's wearing this outfit for a specific reason. See if he can figure it out as he keeps going. But as far as discoveries went, uh, it turned out I didn't discover India or America. Perhaps I discovered a little island off of Portugal. But the AI era of discovery continued, and more scientists poured their souls into it. About 10 years ago, the grand AI discovery was made by three North American scientists, and it's known as deep learning. Deep learning is a technology that can take a huge amount of data within one single domain and learn to predict or decide at superhuman accuracy. For example, if we show the deep learning network (laughs) a massive number of uh, food photos, it can recognize food such as hot dog or no hot dog. (laughs) Or if we show that many pictures and videos and... Why do you think they showed a hot dog there? It's an American audience. Could have been a bowl of chicken chow min. The point stays the same. It's a hot dog. You feel comfortable. I can relate to this. I I know hot dogs. Everyone loves hot dogs. We have hot dogs at the baseball all the time. This is very friendly. This is very non-threatening. This is brilliant. I love this. This guy's so sweet. Did you see the picture of him and his kid? God, wasn't wasn't it cute? Sensor data from... Uh, driving on the highway, it can actually drive a car as well as a human being on the highway. And what if we show this deep learning network all the speeches made by President Trump? Then this artificially intelligent President Trump, <laughs> actually the, the network, <laughs> can... <laughs> you like, like double... Just a little Trump gag thrown in to let him know that he's amongst friends, right? Hey, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. We all hate Donald Trump, don't we? Really? Come on now. Artificially intelligent Trump. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oxymorons, huh? <laughs> oxymorons. <laughs> that wasn't an oxymoron. But they clap anyway. Because he said moron and Trump. And they laugh. So oh, yeah. this network, if given the request to make a speech about AI, he or it might say, It's a great thing to build a better world with artificial intelligence. And maybe another language. <laughs> you didn't know he know Chinese, did you? <laughs> so deep... Yes, voice replicating software, voice replicating AI has no downside whatsoever. Isn't this wonderful? We can make Donald Trump seem funny. You know what else they can do? Make people appear to say things that they don't actually say. AI, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't it cute? We feed in all of the food matrix, pump out a hot dog, 
We feed in all of Donald Trump's speeches. Next thing you know, he's speaking Chinese. Who would have thunk it? Hey, one day maybe maybe I'll be AI voiced. This is a true story. I actually got a uh, job offer to voice to do uh, voice readings for AI software. Believe it or not, about twelve months ago, <clears throat> I rejected it. Paid really well. I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't be the voice of some Australian AI. What the fuck? Because I just knew 10 years from now I would be like doing a show like this and railing against AI and how it's going to um, destroy humanity. And then somebody, some smart prick like on some author site like 4chan would come up and go, this guy did a voiceover for AI 10 years ago. He's a fraud. And I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Another true story, I actually got a job offer rewriting classic poems and classic plays, like Shakespeare plays from a feminist perspective. True, 100% true. Really, yes, really. Both, both are absolutely 100% true stories. Cross my heart, swear on my life. And again, it's the same thing. I can't rewrite classic poems and classic literature from a feminist perspective because 10 years from now, I'll be on a show like this and I'll be railing against feminism and someone's going to pop in and say, hey, this guy rewrote a play from a feminist perspective. He's a fraud. So I'm like, can't do it. <laughs> I guess I just got to wait until the right opportunity arises. Learning has become the core in the era of AI discovery, and that's led by the U.S. But we're now in the era of implementation, where what really matters is execution, product quality, speed, and data. And that's where China comes in. Uh, Chinese entrepreneurs whom I... But see, that's, that's, that's part of the reason why I hate this thing where, you know, if, if now acting, apparently, if, you're, you're, you, you, if you want a gay person in a movie, you have to actually hire a gay person, otherwise it's homophobic or some shit, and these people are way off. Like, anybody that reads my writing and offers me a job knows that I am not necessarily pro-feminist. Like, I have a very distinct writing style, which is quite old-fashioned, to be honest with you. Like, I've been told from English professors that when they read my stuff, they think they're reading something from the 40s or the 50s just because of my, my tone of writing. Like, writing is like a signature. If you're writing something, you know, like if, if someone says, okay, put your thoughts on a paper and you, you know, you're applying some kind of intellectual quality to it, then you can't hide it. It's like a fingerprint. This is how I know when uh, certain trolls have like six or seven or eight different usernames, but it's the same person because they all write in the same style. It's very easy to identify when you know what you're looking for. So I'm, if I'm writing for academic purposes, I write in a very old-fashioned, traditional you know, way, which is very distinct. It's very different from other people my age, I think because I was raised by people who are much older. So... Anyone who reads my writing knows that, um, you know, I'm not pro-feminist, but they read my writing and realise that I, you know, have an ability to write in an old-fashioned tone, which would then give me an ability to reinterpret old poems and old literature, like classic literature, like Shakespeare and stuff, for a feminist perspective. 
So they didn't necessarily care about my politics. They cared about effectiveness, which credit to the feminists, you know, that's exactly what it should be about. Because the mark of a great actor is to be able to be convincing in a role that you are not. That's a good actor. There's, there's no good acting in a gay mechanic acting as a gay mechanic. There's no good acting as a, you know, I, I don't know, like a, there's no good acting as a white businessman if you are a white businessman. If you, if you can get a black street thug to act as a white businessman and do it convincingly, then you would be like, wow, that guy's a really fucking good actor. Same thing, if you can get a straight guy to act gay on screen and be convincing, you would be like, wow, that guy's a really fucking good actor. He acted the shit out of that. That's a problem. I listen, a venture capitalist. listen to this about work ethic, the Chinese work ethic. You'll be blown away. Our incredible workers, amazing work ethic. Uh, my example in the delivery room is nothing compared to how hard people work in China. As an example, one startup tried to claim work-life balance. Come work for us because we are 996. And what does that mean? It means the work hours of 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. <laughs> That's contrasted with other startups that do 997. And the Chinese product quality has consistently gone up in the past decade. And that's because of a fiercely competitive environment. In Silicon Valley, entrepreneurs compete very gentlemanly, in a very gentlemanly fashion, sort of like in old wars which, in which each side took turn to fire at each other. <laughs> but in the Chinese environment, it's truly a gladiatorial fight to the death. See, this is the thing that I don't like. Why are we signing free trade agreements with people that work 996 or 997 for much lower wages? Why are we competing on their terms? We should compete on our terms. We should absolutely have tariffs against these people. We should calculate the amount of hours that their people work and the amount that they get paid and then add that on to the product. And say, well, no, our people, our people work pretty fucking hard and they are pretty fucking smart too. And we back them in. We back them in. We, we, the state, the Chinese authoritarian government doesn't, we don't slave work our people. We don't work our people into the dirt under threat of, you know, something bad happening to them. We don't do that. So why don't we make them compete on our terms? Let's see how fucking far they get. I mean, if you want to be brutal, like, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I'll give you a Red Bull. One of my, one of my best friends, the voice of reason, Adam J, big free trader. He's in a, you know, like a hardcore libertarian, free trade all the way. And this is the argument I always give to him. Like, you can't have free trade unless you've got um, equal conditions. So you can't you can't have free trade with a country that you know basically has basically slave labor. And he's like, oh, we've got to get better. And it's like, well, no, no, fuck that. They've got to get better. Why are we trying to compete with a slave labor economy? What are you nuts? One point two billion people. You can't compete with that. They don't have the same regulations. They don't have the same protections for workers. These these are things that people fought for. Workers' rights. Like, remember, workers' rights, they don't have that. 
people people love the union. Like, the, this is the thing. Communists love the union movement. Do you know what the union is in China? It's the fucking Chinese government. That's the union. There, there, there is no union movement in China. There are no unions. There are no strikes. There are no protests for higher pay. There are no protests for minimum wage. There are no protests for better conditions. You either work or you die. This is the this is the utopia that's being thrust upon us. Like this is the model that we're all supposed to adopt in the twenty first century. Give me a fucking break. Hell no. Hell no. And if the Chinese state wasn't ripping off our intellectual property for the last thirty years, they'd still be farming rice paddies. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Everyone around the world knows it. And no one's got the balls to say it. The reason that they are ahead right now economically is because they utilise a slave labour workforce effectively, which is, what, half a billion people. They make subpar products at subpar price. They flood them into Western economies, drive out competition in Western economies because there are no tariffs on their product coming in because we are open and they are closed. They buy up government guarantees... The reason that they are so well off economically right now is because they were coming from such a low place to begin with. Like, you can look at Chinese growth economically and say, oh, yeah, 350% growth. And it's like, yeah, it's easy when you're coming from, like, 50 cents. It's easy to have 350% growth in 20 years when when your average salary was, like, 35 cents. Like yeah, that's what? What's the fucking miracle here? So you've gone from thirty-five cents to five bucks. Like, bruv. Oh well. Oh wow. Well, well, well done. My hero, Lucifer Sam. They are in modern feudalism, and we are headed straight there. I agree. I agree. I agree. We agree for different reasons, but we agree nonetheless. What do we do when China starts to wobble? We we do the only thing we can do. We put them to the sword. We put them to the sword. We isolate them. If you can get the rest of the world's economies to isolate the Chinese economy, start trading with each other, give each other benefits. If, if so, let's let's have free trade agreements with people that have uh, with economies that have similar conditions, similar regulatory conditions, similar wage conditions, similar cost of living. Which we we can absolutely the Western countries can absolutely supply each other with all of the products that we need. We don't need China. They know it. They know it. The reason that they're in is because they do it cheap, because it's slave labor. If the rest of the modern economies of the world got together and said, hey, you know what? Let's isolate these fuckers. Let's, let's make them feed on their own for a while. They would absolutely change. And if they didn't change, then the economy runs dry. And you know what? There's half a billion people living in the north of China who live without running water, and they take up their pitchforks. Next thing you know, it's revolution. Just like the old days. Just like the old days. Hey, it's been it's been 70 years since we had a revolution in China. Don't you think it's time for another one? Come on, comrades. Let's go. Maybe then we'll get rid of the Maoists once and for all. Who knows? All right. I've got to get to your stuff. I've got so many things here. Oh, here's what here's one more quick one for you. Talking about Apu earlier. 
Don't get rid of Apu. He's a hero to many of us. Baskar Sankara. As an Indian American, I learned to embrace Apu. I hope he stays on The Simpsons. After progressively diminishing the character, it appears the Simpsons might be gearing up to drop Quickie Mark Clerk and Indian American icon Apu Nahasapima Petalon. And this comes from the known right-wing conspiracy website known as The Guardian. Well, kind of Indian American. He's a brown character with an exaggerated Indian accent voiced by a white guy, Hank Azaria. Apu has gotten a lot of flack lately for being racist depiction of Indian Americans. One of my favourite comedians, Hari Kondabolo, even released a documentary about it. But growing up in the 1990s, Apu was something of a hero for me. I watched hundreds of Simpsons episodes back to back and thousands of scenes are seared into my mind, but none more than the end of a season four episode. Homer decides to skip church and falls asleep at home while smoking a cigar. He almost dies in the ensuing fire, but he's saved by Apu, chief of the volunteer fire department, and a host of other characters. Reverend Lovejoy tells the relieved Homer that God didn't set his house on fire, but that he certainly was working through the hearts of his friends, Christian Ned Flanders, Jew, Krusty the Crown, and miscellaneous Apu alike. Hindu, Apu ejects. There are 700 million of us, you know. It felt nice as a member of a tiny minority in a mostly white and Christian country to be reminded that there were almost a billion other people on earth who had to learn bhajans, suffer through seemingly interminable pujas, or touch their elders' feet as a sign of respect. To be represented at all seemed like progress. My my relationship with Apu was like my relationship with my Indian-born father or my Indo-Trinidadian mother, Filled with moments of cringeworthy embarrassment, among others, we used to call erasers rubbers in the house. We still call them rubbers here in Australia, which didn't go over well in middle school, but also moments of pride and gratitude. Well, I guess it's just evil and racist are wrong. All right, let's get to your stuff. This this I've been looking forward to. Netrack. Netrack. See, Netrack understands this show. Netrack understands this show. Completely. Let me. Oh, we've got to see this one too, though. Sorry, hang on. Morning Joe says Trump tweeting about baseball is a message to white nationalists. Is there a video? There has to be a video. Come on. Show me a video. Surely we've got a video here. Scarborough and Brzezinski teamed up to discuss the president's social media handling of Saturday's mass killing at a Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh. The two have, who have been open critics of Trump said that Trump tweeting about the Boston Red Sox-Los Angeles Dodgers game on the day of the massacre did nothing more than send a message to white nationalists. <laughs> Look at them. Look at their faces. <laughs> Well, what's going on? It's a national rec- reckoning, Scarborough began. Four, two and a half, three years ago, you have, you, you have had a president and a candidate running for president who, after Charlottesville, preached moral relativism and equated neo-Nazis with those who, that were protesting against neo-Nazis. You have, you have somebody who has been calling Hispanics breeders, somebody who's been calling himself a nationalist, and neo-Nazis have come out praising him for that, praising him for other actions. 
He has refused steadfastly to attack white nationalists. He refuses to call black uh, call back his attacks against all people of who, of course, had bombs sent to their homes, their residences, and their businesses. Is this the America I want to live in? Because right now, the only constitutional check against this sort of abhorrent behaviour, again, a guy, really, a guy who was sending a message by time and time again, tweeting about baseball or talking about his bad hair day, that was done intentionally to send a message to white nationalists. Well done. Slow clap. (laughs) Baseball. White nationalism. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Home run. Who would have thunk it? I've got to close some of these windows so we can get to your stuff on Twitter. Okay. Still not loading? Let's try again. Here we go. Now we're rocking and rolling. This, this I'm sure, is going to be all class. This is, this is highbrow stuff here. This is your trigger warning. <laughs> the blowjob paper. Scientists processed 109 hours of oral sex to develop an AI that sucks dick. <laughs> I, my first thought is 109 hours isn't nearly long enough. You know, 109 hours is a very small sample base that you're drawing from here. Who would have known? Maybe in the 110th hour... The, you know, someone might have done something absolutely incredible that no one's ever seen before. Who knows? <laughs> Anonymous machine learning engineers wrote the blowjob paper to try and make this blowjob machine more lifelike. And actually, this actually puts me at ease knowing that... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> this puts me at ease. Because when you consider the kinds of nerds that are coming up with AI and how AI might destroy humanity and take over all of the blue-collar jobs and we're all going to die and AI is going to take over us all, you eventually get to the realisation that, hang on, these guys are just starving for sex and they're spending more of their time discovering how they can make a robot suck dick effectively than actually take over the world. So I'm like, bravo. Well done. (laughs) Keep, keep science nerds virgins. That's a hashtag for you. As long as the science nerds remain virgins, then humanity is safe. Because all they're doing is dedicating their time to building robots that suck dick <laughs> instead of take over the earth in a bloody, bloody massacre. <laughs> Just in time for Christmas, says Aaron Guy. Is Stormy Daniels involved in the research? No, they're trying to replace her. So she's the old version of the cyborg, and they're trying to replace her with a new one. The Autoblow AI, a sex toy made for penis processing individuals, consists of a rubbery sleeve and a motor housed inside a canister that aims to simulate oral sex. It's launched its Indiegogo campaign last week and quickly hit its goal to $50,000. 50 grand! People are just waiting to give money to the to the oral sex robots. <laughs> its biggest advertised advantage over the original model from 2014, the Auto Blow 2. There's already been three of them now. <laughs> Who would have thunk? 
is a machine learning algorithm that continually changes technique in order to pleasure the user in new and exciting ways. So it learns how to change its technique. <laughs> well, I could see that. I, I guess I guess oral sex with a real life human being can get a little stale sometimes, can't it? <laughs> Instead of repetitive mechanical motions, this AI mode promises to replicate the nuanced and unpredictable motions of a real human blowjob, except it doesn't, except it's not a real human blowjob. In order to do this, the company asked a team of six people to watch and a note 109 hours of porn. Imagine you've, you've just graduated from MIT. You're like this robotics whiz kid. So you were building like uh, robotic Legos when you were five. You were building rockets when you were 10. You've basically built like an AI system in your house by the time you're 15. You get, you get, you get, you get scalped by MIT. And they're like, you need to learn here. And you go to MIT and you're the top of your class. And then you get you get uh, poached by one of the big companies in AI, and you think it. You think, damn, this is my big break for my whole life. <laughs> and, you, and you walk into the office at this robotics lab with your very first day. You've got all this experience. You've got all of this knowledge. And the guy sits. He sits you down. And he says, "Right, what we want you to do first up is watch about a hundred hours of blowjobs <laughs> on Pornhub." <laughs> And I want you to map the way that blowjobs are given. <laughs> You'd be on the phone that night. Mum, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have pursued robotics. <laughs> they hired machine learning engineers to create a model to take all of that data and translate it into what the toy does. The entire process took three years. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, computer nerds going above and beyond, spending three years watching blowjob videos on the internet in order to make a machine that gives a lifelike blowjob. In three years, you could have probably had real lifelike blowjobs by 100 women minimum. Three years. Three years is a long time. If you put three years into a real-life human relationship, you probably could have had a thousand blowjobs by now. Real ones. (laughs) Congratulations, science nerds. (laughs) They're not sending their best. Don Lemon, I apologise if any evil white people were upset by my comments. Evil white people. I, I wasn't offended. I thought it was funny. I thought he was doing a routine. I thought he was doing shtick. US. After CNN anchor Don Lemon made controversial comments calling white men the biggest terror threat in his country, the host somberly apologised on his program, stating he never intended to offend, quote, all the evil white men who watch this program. <laughs> Humble as always, Don Lemon. Here's the thing. Let me just take a sip for a sec. I might just spark up an analog while I'm here too, by the way. Let me share some thoughts with you. Ooh, very good. 
So here's the thing. So we 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 analyze rhetoric here. We don't do stats. It would be easy to do stats. So obviously, with things like uh, the report that he's citing, like I like I was listening to Bongino earlier today, but I've already heard this stuff before about how the definition of terrorism is used in specific studies, and you know this happens a lot in different sides of politics. So you've always got to go into details. The problem is. Um, People like Don Lemon know that the vast majority of their audience do not have time for details. They're too busy designing blowjob robots. But putting that to one side. So you could say that the statistics are skewed. You could say that certain things in the report don't actually count as terrorism. But that's the kind of weeds that you, you know, your Don Lemons of the world want you to get involved in. Here's a very easy fix for you. If Don Lemon comes out and says that uh, white men are the biggest terrorist threat in the country, then I would just simply use the exact same process in reverse. I'm not talking about race. What I mean is, uh, okay, so if white men are the biggest terrorist threat in the country, I guess the first thing we need to do is you know, reach out to them and have some kind of understanding. You know, some, we need we need more education on the topic, obviously, because I think we're ignorant about the plight of white men. There's a reason that white men turn to terrorism, and you know, maybe perhaps they're being marginalised, right? Because this is the response for every terrorist attack on CNN. You don't understand the motivations. Don't be a bigot. It's like, okay, well, first of all, I guess we shouldn't be a bigot. We shouldn't generalise all white men as being terrorists. That's the first That's the first thing we should do, Don. But after that, maybe maybe we could have uh, school kids, like young kids, like maybe six, seven, eight years old, maybe they could spend a day at a white nationalist militia just to, just to bridge the gap of understanding, you know? Because we wouldn't want kids growing up with these negative stereotypes about white nationalists because that's what actually fuels terrorism. Right? I mean, this is this is the way I've been told my whole life that how to deal with terrorism. It's about bridging understanding and not being a phobic of some kind. So if the problem is uh, terrorism from a specific group that it's on us, the rest of the community, to reach out to that group and make them feel more included. We need to be more inclusive and less phobic. So I think we get the little kids to spend a day at a white nationalist militia just so they know, you know, that it's nothing to be afraid of. Maybe they can worship with them, understand the nuances of their beliefs and ideology, their culture. Maybe we need to bring more white nationalists into our countries. Because the last thing you'd want to do is promote, uh, you know, white nationalist phobia, right? I mean, if white men are the biggest biggest terrorist threat, then what we should do is probably import much more of them and accuse the rest of the country of being racist, right? Isn't that the way we deal with terrorism? Reaching out, building bridges, etc. And you can see it crumbles. Say what? Man lives with a 20 centimetre spoon in his throat. 
Net, Netrag, very good additions from Netrag today. Netrag gets it. Man lives with 20 centimetre spoon in his throat for a year before seeking help. Look at that sucker. Wow. <laughs> for a year. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Chinese, bo- Chinese doctors were baffled after they found a 20-centimetre spoon inside the throat of a patient who was barely breathing. Oddly, the object was not, big, uh, was not a big problem for the man for months. If you've ever had something stuck in your throat, you know how unpleasant it is. Yeah, we carry on when we get a fly stuck in our throat. This guy probably went to work every day. <laughs> you know, that Chinese work ethic that we just learned so much about. 996. Gee, Jesus Christ, Pong! Is that a th- is that a spoon in your throat? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just give me the, just give me the job of the robot robot blowjob job, and I'll be fine. I'll study more blowjobs. It's fine. Someone's got to make them. Not so for Mister Zhang, apparently who swallowed a twenty centimeter steel spoon in an attempt to show off in front of his friends. <laughs> there, there's your answer. Of course, he was showing off. He was showing off. And then when his friends were like, man, is that, is that, yeah, I know it was 996, but remember the guy said most Chinese companies work on 997. The company he was showing was actually a rare one. They were offering a work-life balance by doing 996, but he said most other companies do 997. That's why I said 997. You've got to listen. <laughs> So he was showing off in front of his friends and they're like, Jesus, Shang, are you are you choking on that spoon? He's like, no, no, not a problem at all. It's fine. Pretty good. Feels good in there. And like six months later, they're like, hey, did you ever have any problem with that spoon? He's like, fuck no. No, it was all good, man. It's all good. Where is it? It's still in there. I don't even care. I don't even care. I'm, I'm tough. It's fine. <laughs> The man in his 20s carried the spoon inside him around for one year and somehow it didn't bother him that much until he was punched in the chest. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Hardly breathing and in pain, the patient sought medical help in October. After x-rays showed the metal object stuck inside the man's esophagus, it took a complex operation of more than two hours to remove it on October 22. Absolutely fantastic. That's dedication for you. Nah, man, I don't have a problem with the spoon. Why did Hermione 2020 stickers show up? Good question. Be back soon. Ah, General Eaton, your site's down for maintenance. Vox is down for maintenance. I didn't even know they did maintenance. Kimmy knows a guy who swallowed a live goldfish at a party. Me too. I know a guy who did that too. He said it was delicious. Puma. Do you guys say Puma or Puma? Puma is launching a campaign to mark the 50th anniversary of the US sprinter Tommy Smith's black-gloved salute at the 1968 Olympics. Shortly after rival Nike scored a hit with an ad featuring a modern-day activist for racial equality. So it's, it's a race to the bottom. Nike saw a jump in sales after its advertisement with American footballer Colin Kaepernick. That's actually, this is fake news. 
See how it said, with American footballer Colin Kaepernick? It should actually be former American footballer Colin Kaepernick. He's not playing, is he? He's not playing for any team now, is he? Puma. Puma. Key Wizard says, Hubby is a doc. He's seen some weird stuff that people have stuck in various places. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I'd love to spend a, a day as a fly on the wall in a proctologist office. Absolutely. The ass guys. <laughs> it's funny, like, the, the people that accuse everyone else of being gay seem to be the ones most likely to stick things up their asses. Have, has anyone ever considered that? Maybe that's a scientific paper we could discover. Don't worry about 109 hours spending time, like, trying to, to reinvent the blowjob according to robotics. How about we spend 109 hours trying to figure out why the people that say that everything is gay spend 109 hours sticking things up their ass for fun. Seems odd to me. Anyway. Who began kneeling during the US National Anthem in NFL games in 2016 to protest against police shootings. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Puma's reform campaign, hashtag reform, will see brand ambassadors such as rapper Meek Mill, never heard of him, call for people to post images of themselves online with a raised fist to commemorate Smith's silent salute at the Mexico Olympics on October 16, 1968. Oh, okay, so that's good. Twitter's going to be awash with black power signs now. Fantastic. <laughs> Twitter is soon to be awash. There's a competition. <laughs> who has the best who has the best black power fist? Yeah, we don't we don't have any problem with nationalism here at Reuters. We love nationalism. Sometimes. <laughs> Commemorates black power. <laughs> like I said probably a couple of hours ago, the sooner we do away with the identity politics stuff, the better we'll all be. Then we'll all progress. Migrant Caravan explained, I think the site's going to be down. Yeah, Fox is down. Sorry, General. Did you send some through, Kimmy? I'm sure Kimmy sent some through. I'll just reload it. Recent article, I think you covered it. Yes, we did cover that one on the starting block. The girl that's had sex with 20 ghosts and is now engaged to one. Like lucky number lucky number 21 in the ghost market. The 21st ghost was like, I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> Finally, I get the girl of my dreams. The earthly girl. The one with actual flesh. I'm sick of having sex with these other ghost chicks. It feels like there's nothing there. Florida woman says Holocaust theme yard display is meant to spite HOA. Susan Lamadon said her HOA harassed said her HOA harassed her is that housing authority? Harassed her for putting up a sign with the Star of David in her front yard. So she did this. (laughs) Way to be discreet, Susan. I like that. A Florida woman said she's been getting death threats 
because of the Holocaust-themed display she put up in her yard. Susan Lamadon, a realtor in Newport Ritchie, put up a display earlier this week featuring skeletons with a concentration camp ID numbers on their arms and a Star of David on their chest. The discomforting display also shows a sign reading Arbit macht free, which means work sets you free in German. It's a slogan that was on display at the entrance of Nazi concentration camps like Auschwitz. Lamerton's, where are we? Lamerton's perturbed neighbours said the display is especially scary and coming so soon after the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting on Saturday. Oh, of course. It sickens me that we have this, you know, with what happened in Pittsburgh. Bonnie's husband, Mitchell Katz, said the decorations send the message that Lamerton hates Jews and we should die. Lamerton, who told HuffPo she is Jewish. <laughs> Do you see where we're at where we're at now? Like, of course, it's a pretty crazy thing to put on your front yard. But the neighbour infers that as she hates Jews and thinks we should all die. She's a Jew. <laughs> She's a Jew. The woman who put this on her yard is a Jew. But this is the society we're living in now. This dis- this disconnect. Why wouldn't they just go if if they're neighbours, why wouldn't you just go over and fucking talk to her? Why wouldn't you just stroll out onto your front lawn while she's putting up the massive display of a fucking skeleton and go, hey, Susan, how you going? Good, pretty good. Yo, so what's the skeleton about then? Do you need a little help erecting the tibula? Like, you know, can I help you with a scapula bone or something? By the way, um, do you hate Jews or, you know... Why, why couldn't you just walk over and ask? So these people have been spending days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks thinking, she hates Jews, she's an anti-Semitic, this is a, she hates us, she wants us to die. But really, she's a Jew. Just talk to your neighbours Talk to your neighbors sometimes. It's, it's, it's not that bad. It's fine. No one talks to anyone anymore. Exactly. And this is what happens. Neighbours make complaints to, to Huffington Post's. And everyone's an idiot. Lamerton, who told HuffPost she is Jewish, said that the display is not for Halloween, but is meant as a political protest against her local homeowner association. Lamerton accuses the HOA of harassing her because she put a sign with the Star of David in her yard, which she said is allowed by the rules. HuffPost wasn't able to reach the HOA for comment. What a fucking surprise. Well, there you go. A big political protest. <laughs> she said, Laminin said she put up the display last week. She didn't seem concerned about the optics after the Pittsburgh massacre and claimed to be unaware of the shooting because she works too much to keep track of the news. There you go. Don't you think it's a little insensitive to put this up after the shooting? What shooting? I didn't even know there was a shooting. The informed population and their informed neighbours. Creating tolerance one complaint to the police at a time. Satanic Temple suing Netflix over statue design in Sabrina. I noticed Sabrina's back. I used to watch Sabrina a lot when I was a kid. I did quite like the girl who was Sabrina at the time. I'm not sure I'll watch the new Sabrina because I'm not 15 anymore. Satanic Temple suing Netflix over Satanic statue, used, uh, statue design in Sabrina. 
Lucian Graves, co-founder and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. <laughs> I love that the Satanic Temple is putting in complaints. <laughs> Don't you? Isn't that just fucking delicious? Yeah, yeah, we're Satanists. We worship the devil, but you shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like that's breaking the rules. What? Come on, man. <laughs> You're a Satanist. <laughs> I love the fact that Satanists are filing court cases. Really? Shouldn't you just worship the devil or something? How can, how can you seriously be against anybody stealing anything? Ever. You're a Satanist. Isn't that kind of the deal? Like, there's no rules? Oh, no, we have princi- we're principled Satanists. We're pr- we, we've got principles over here in the Satanist church. We believe that it's wrong to plagiarize our statues. Oh, okay. Okay. Lucian Graves, co-founder and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple, said the self-described religious organization is taking legal action. (laughs) Come on, man. It's like, Satanist, don't be a pussy. Keywizard's heading to bed. We're nearly done here. See you tomorrow. Said the self-described religious organization is taking legal action regarding the new Netflix show, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, for what Graves claims is a copyright infringement. Yes. (laughs) I just love the fact that Satanists are going to church, like going to court. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine being the lawyer on the other end of the phone. Yes, hello. My name's Lucian Graves. I'm the co-founder of the Satanic Temple, and I would like to file a court case against somebody stealing our statues. It's like, really? Like, what? where's the fucking camera? Is this a joke or what? <laughs> yes, we are taking legal action regarding, it's a, a, again with the hashtag, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, appropriating our copyrighted monument. It's, it's cultural appropriation of the fucking Satanists now. Woo! <laughs> they must get really pissed off every Halloween, don't you think? Like the whole country is now culturally appropriating us. Oh my god, it's awful! <laughs> They're appropriating. Yes! Hollywood is. Sometimes you have to take a step back and think about this. The Satanic Temple is suing Hollywood for appropriating their culture. Repeat, the Satanic Temple is suing Hollywood for appropriating their culture. Wow. (laughs) Fuck you, Hollywood. Come up with your own Satanic shit. Stop stealing ours. Yes, yes, yes. Eat that satanic temple. Hollywood appropriating Satanism. Don't you just love it? Better call Saul actor. What's this one? (laughs) Maybe this guy got appropriated by the satanic temple. Better call Saul actor Todd LaTourette says he cut off his own arm and lied about being a veteran. God. God. In a recent <laughs> wow, in a recent interview, Todd LaTourette, a New Mexico-based actor known for his role in Better Call Saul, spoke honestly about the early days of his acting career. 
Latourette said he wasn't entirely honest about his background before breaking into the entertainment industry. That's okay, mate. Nobody is. The actor said he cut off his own arm years ago and lied about being a veteran. What the hell is wrong with these people? I have a six-inch pirate hook which attaches into my back, carbon fibre and a prosthetic arm. Other attachments include a stainless steel claw, wooden hand, and what I like to refer to as my Terminator hand. The fingers do open and close voluntarily. The actor told Insider he cut off his hand on Christmas Eve in 2001. La Tourette, who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, said he was not taking his medication at the time and was in a psychotic episode. Oh, okay, so I guess he's the victim. That, he said, changed the trajectory of his career. The film industry obviously took a different angle. That I was different, and so they liked that. Wow. We'll make you famous as long as you cut off your hand. No thanks. No thanks. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Yeah, okay. I believe it. (laughs) He looks fucking nuts. (laughs) We could hire him as somebody who would cut off his own hand in order to gain career prospects. Sure. Makes sense to me. DARPA seeks FFA, uh, FAA approval for what exactly? Military drones over American cities. Ah, oh, this has been happening for years. There's already been drones over American cities. I remember 10 years ago watching interviews with people, I think it was in Arizona, who were like, yeah, the fucking things just fly over my house all night. We hear them nonstop. They were testing the cameras and stuff on them. You can find those videos, like old news reports, you know, where the reporter stands out the front of the person's house. And, you know, this this small town in, you know, Arizona has been getting harassed by the military base next door because the drones have been flying over their house 24 hours a day. I was watching that 10 years ago. And they're like, yeah, I can't get any sleep. The baby keeps crying. That's the way it's presented. So they were testing the cameras and stuff, like, you know, how far they can get up, how can they zoom the cameras in. It's all documented. It's all out there. Birds aren't real. Just a little over 10 years after drone surveillance inside US borders was declared a conspiracy theory. Well, there you go. It is now an indisputable fact of life. So too are military-grade drones along the border, which in reality constitutes a 100-mile-wide swath that encircles continental United States and around two-thirds of its population. According to a new report from Defence One, this level of access is still seen as a restriction by the DARPA-directed military apparatus, as new forms of autonomous aircraft take to the skies, such as the latest Black Hawk helicopter drones that could be ready by 2019, DARPA and the aircraft developers want permission to fly over large cities as needed. Utilising a new artificial intelligence system that is literally called Matrix, (laughs) developers see an opportunity for more flexibility in potential use. Of course, surveillance isn't mentioned among those uses. There you go. DARPA seeks, it should be DARPA finally seeks approval because they've been doing it for a long time without it. So what's the fucking difference? (laughs) And this one to finish this off, John Stewart, though John Stewart was mentioned before, he nailed it. He absolutely got it right. I used to watch The Daily Show uh, every day religiously when I was a kid. Well, not a kid. I guess I was like 19, 20, 21 when that show was going. 
I used to love the Daily Show, and I used to love the Colbert Report. The best thing about the Colbert Report is when you look at Stephen Colbert now. I loved Stephen Colbert. I loved the Colbert Report. Like there, there I used to be in tears on the floor laughing because. The sad reality is Stephen Colbert is much funnier when he's impersonating a Republican as opposed to being himself. Like, that's sad. Yeah, when he's pretending to be a Republican, he's fucking hilarious. When he's being himself, which is just, you know, your average liberal douchebag, it's like, meh, heard it before. Heard the same lines before. I can watch Trevor Noah and get the same thing. You're not giving me any, anything special here. He should go back to pretending to being a Republican. Then he'll be famous again. John Stewart rebuked the mainstream media's coverage of President Trump in an interview on Tuesday, saying the reporters often make comments from the president personally. This this is what we talked about. If you look at my uh, podcast, here it is, the the most the the one at the top of the page. Embrace the chaos. We were talking about this very thing. The fact that you know people that work in corporate media are some of the most egotistical narcissistic people you'll ever meet in your life and they're completely consumed with their own image and their own brand and they they're not investigative journalists they're not journalists they are tv hosts and they work purely for the you know the 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 psychological embrace of their dwindling audience like the rounds of applause that they get from their sycophantic fans that's this is what they exist for that's what they map everything around. So check that out if you want the Daily Boogie. All right, let's have a little look at John John. So do you think, because obviously we're all caught up in this sort of daily Trump fest. I mean, every single newspaper, every radio station, every bit of social media. you got to make money or- too. Well, it's you got, dissecting. You got, you got bills to pay, man. You got electric bills. You got food. You know, this guy is, he's giving you all cash. The cash flow in the Trump era for uh, for these TV stations and for these... Can, can I say, that might have been an issue, and yeah. maybe it still is an issue for the people who are the bean counters, but yeah. we, the journalists... See, George Stewart was doing the same thing. He He lived through the George W. Bush era. So he knows what he's talking about. You know the amount of mileage he used to get off George W. Bush? And again, I watched John Stewart. I would laugh my fucking ass off. Like, oh, he's destroying George W. Bush. <laughs> I didn't I didn't much like George W. Bush myself. I didn't think he was Satan, but I didn't like him. I thought he was kind of an idiot. So, you know. But he lived through George W. Bush. I, 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 maybe John Stewart's lamenting the fact that he's not around in the Trump era because he'd probably be far, he'd probably be far better at uh, the job than Stephen Colbert or Trevor Noah is right now. I think John Stewart would be much fairer. Like at least his comedy was accessible to many people on both sides of the aisle, which is something that the current comedians just don't get. Like they can't, they, the current comedians can't do bipartisan comedy. That's not within them. They're not capable of it. They have to be activists. Whereas John Stewart could make fun of Democrats, Republicans. He was obviously a Democrat and everyone knew it, but you could still watch it as a Republican and still laugh along. You know, it was less vicious. George W. is just the son of Satan. It's insect. <laughs> We, I think, believe that our job is to navigate the truth and to do the fact-checking and all the rest of it. So I think that's what motivates... 
I, I, I remember when Christiane Amanpour was a respected reporter. <clears throat> Do you remember? She used to remember the remember when she was in Iraq and shit, Afghanistan. Amanpour was the bomb back in the day. Now all of these people have lost credibility through association, so I, and I, I don't shed any tears for them. Like you know, I'm not staying up at night thinking, "Oh, poor Christiane Amanpour, poor Don Stewart." No, no. But uh, it's never going to be the same again. <laughs> the conditions that you had. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago, they're done. They're over. It's done. Uh, there is a new world, and it's coming whether you like it or not, unfortunately. But I think the people... journalists have taken it personally. Okay, they're personally wounded and offended by this man. He baits them, and they dive in. And what he's done well, I thought, is appeal to their own narcissism, to their own ego. Because what he says is these are the... And the journalists stand up and say, we are noble, we are honorable, how dare you... I love Chappelle's look at it here, where they'd look at it Arbid Poor, they're looking back at him, and then Chappelle looks down at the floor like, yeah, that's, he's probably right. <laughs> Sir, and they take it personally, and now he's changed the conversation to not that his policies are silly or not working or any of those other things. It's all about the fight. He's, he's able to tune out everything else and get people just focused on the fight uh, He's gonna, uh, he, he gets even, it um, Bob, he gets Bob it said that in his book on the on the trump white house that a lot of journalists are too emotional about this but it's hard for us to be dispassionate when it's <laughs> so hard for us to be dispassionate christiane that's your fucking job darling you're supposed to be dispassionate. You're not supposed to have emotional reactions. When when did you forget? When when did you lose sight of this obvious reality in your job description? Oh yes, well, we do tend to act emotionally, but that's because it's so hard not to. Oh, darling. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Are you kidding? What is this? What is this a joke? Is this a bit? Is is this a bit on a new John Stewart show? Somebody tell me. Is this a new routine? I'm not sure. Is this a routine? Exactly, Kimmy. But my feels. I know we're supposed to be dispassionate, but you know, my feelings are hurt. <laughs> Unknowingly memeing themselves into the reality that they want to avoid, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? The irony. <laughs> And, 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 you know, raise the spectrum of violence against us. But you're not used to it. Think us. of the communities of... No, no, we're used of, to it, believe but me. But think of the communities We've been of out there color. in the field. Think of Muslims. Think of uh, the, the black community. People, you know, when journalists rise to this outrage of how dare you say this about us, think of the lives that they've been leading under this oh! and, and what they've been... Oh! Do you see what he just did there? Oh, that's brilliant. The journalists are always saying, think of the minorities, think of the people of colour, think of the Muslims, think of all of these other communities. They're constantly hitting everyone over the head with, you need to think about everybody else. How dare you bigot, you Nazi, you racist. Don't you dare find that thing funny. You need to be thinking about all of these other people. Did you see what he just did then? He slammed her victim slammed her victim persona right into the dirt. 
And he's like, well, you know, when you come out and claim to be a victim, all of the minorities are like, fuck you. And it's like, oh. <laughs> now, now the victim is having someone else say to them, why don't you think about the minorities? How dare you feel that way? Think, why don't you think about the minorities for a change? What are you, what are you self-obsessed or something? It's not all about you. Absolutely brilliant. It's probably the first time that someone in the media has had it said to them that you're not allowed to be a victim because you're one of the privileged class. You're not one of the victim classes. You don't get to be offended. Yeah, I know we're supposed to be objective. I know we're supposed to be dispassionate, but he really makes me feel upset. John Stewart, the liberal pinup boy then looks her right in the eyes and says, you don't get to feel upset. Other people have felt upset for years. Why do you think you get to be a victim? Bravo. Bravo. Well, I guess guess they're all straight white men now. You don't get to be a victim either. (laughs) Welcome Welcome to the world of being the the biggest nationalist terrorist threat on the face of the earth, Christian Amanpour. You are now in the same class as straight white men. You are privileged media. You don't get to be a victim because there are other victims above you on the totem pole. Who would have thunk it? You've only been talking about the other victims for the last 25 years, saying how everyone needs to pay attention to them, and now you want everyone to pay attention to you, and suddenly nobody wants to pay attention to you anymore. Isn't that just the darndest thing? With that, guys, Alicia in Tennessee, Net Drag, thank you for the articles, Kimmy Jong-un, General Eaton, Ducks Regionus, Crystal, Carol, the lovely Previn. Trying to scan through the names here. Tamara, thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. Lady Fritzer, Stefan Sears, Truth Watcher, Sin Soaked, Lucifer Sam, Peter, Sandra, Kim Boyd, and of course, Little Bright Shine, Little Bright Shine. Till next time, guys. Thanks for sticking around. If you want to follow on Twitter, please do, at Boogie Bumper. If you want to download the podcast, you can get it on iTunes or Podbean, The Daily Boogie. I'll be back on Sunday night with the ubiquitous, ubiquitous James R., It's a fucking hot day here. I'm going to grab myself a cold beverage and then probably head off to bed. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.